Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to Sacred Symbols, the Internet's most beloved PlayStation podcast. If you want to get our show three days earlier than free feeds and completely without ads, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Your support on Patreon also allows you to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, gives you the ability to vote on the Let's Plays we do, allows you access to exclusive podcasts, and more. You can also buy Sacred Symbols merch by going to tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. I suspect you'd look damn sexy with our logo emblazoned across your chest, but that's just one man's opinion. Of course, we love our free feed listening audience, too. If you don't have the means or desire to show us support on Patreon or with merch, please consider leaving us a nice review on the podcast service of your choice and let friends and family know about Sacred Symbols. We, on the other hand, will keep making Tuesdays great again. But enough chatter. Have at you. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 58. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris, the uninvited Raygun. Chris, how are you today? I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. It's been quite an interesting week. <laughs> it's been an interesting week. Yeah, it's been an interesting week for us. First and foremost, welcome to our PlayStation podcast. We do it every week. You can support us on Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand for early ad-free access. We're also pleased starting this week to launch Sacred Symbols Plus, which is the second episode of Sacred Symbols that will go live every week only for Patreon supporters. We'll talk about that in a little while. Mm -hmm. But Chris, at the very top, 
before we even get any further, I guess we have to talk about what happened with us with PAX West. So let me set the stage and then I'm really interested since you never talked to me. I'm really interested in hearing your perspective on this. Right. Because I've been busy on eBay buying G.I. Joe's and shit. Right, right. Whatever it is I do all the important things. And so we haven't really caught up in person about this. But for the uninitiated here, we were supposed to go to PAX West. We put in a panel for PAX West, which for people that don't know, is a big video game like fan based kind of convention in Seattle, Washington every year. It's also in Boston. There's one in San Antonio and there's one somewhere in the north, I think, Chicago or Milwaukee or some shit like that. So we were going to go to the one in Seattle. We put in a panel request. They not only accepted our panel request, but gave us one of the biggest theaters, Hydra Theater, Mm -hmm. and which is a a Twitch streamed theater. And we were going to have our fans there and they encouraged us explicitly to tell our fans that we'd be there and all of this. And then last week, basically, I think the day that this the last episode, episode 57 went live. They were basically like, no, we're, we're rescinding your invitation, we're, your invitation, and we're sorry about that. Yeah, and out of nowhere. With, yeah, out of nowhere. With no reason, no explanation. And through some back and forth with them, I, I could not extract any more information on why they canceled us. I mean, it could be almost anything. I was racking my brain. I'm like, did we say something untoward on the show? We always say untoward things on the show, so that can't be it. Were they not familiar with me or Chris? Well, Chris is a massive YouTuber with what, like 700,000, 600,000 subscribers (laughs) on YouTube. And I've been in the gaming industry as a professional for 17 years. And I was the senior editor of the biggest video game website in the world. So they know who I am. That's not a mystery. Sacred Symbols is easy enough to find. You can find information on it, whatever the case might be. So I couldn't figure out and still really can't figure out apart from the obvious Mm -hmm. why we were removed from the show. But before I let Chris get in, I just want to say I fought really hard to get you guys refunds. If you wanted them, they will not give refunds. I'm not saying, by the way, that just because we're not going means you don't want to go. What I'm saying is, is if someone was going and they feel put out because we said we'd be there, they bought a ticket, they wanted to see us and maybe do other stuff and then they don't want to be there anymore. I think you should have a recourse out, even though that's not what PAX has to do legally. I think it's an ethical thing. Right. But nonetheless... We kind of have been left in the dark. The media won't cover this at all for us because they don't like us. So you can base. And I want to talk a little bit about this. Just the absolute lack of a dispassionate media in games is unreal. Yeah. And I don't feel like I'm not really that bothered for us. I'm bothered for the audience that was lied to, that we were basically asked to lie to in some way. Yeah. uh, Some people like got plane tickets and hotel rooms and all this kind of stuff. And I can't help you there. Yeah. But but I have been refunding people for their tickets up to a certain degree, which is something that you definitely didn't need to do. No, but I, I that felt was like definitely a move. I was like, that's pretty stand up. I wanted to do something that not only tried to take care of our fans. Like, listen, fifty five dollars for a PAX pass, is a lot of money. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of money. I wouldn't just throw fifty five dollars into the fucking garbage. Right. So imagine if you work paycheck to paycheck or you, you have expenses, you have all these things that you have to keep up with. And fifty five dollars is like. An enormous amount of money. Right. You know, so I was happy to pay our fans back up to a certain degree. I, I, for people that don't know, I agreed to pay up to 20 of our fans back for their PAX passes out of my own pocket because I wanted to try to do the right thing, but also maybe draw more attention to the plight of the rest of our fans so that maybe everyone could have some recourse. But that wasn't the case. But anyway, before I even go any further, Chris, I'm just curious what you think of this situation. Well, <laughs> well, you sent me the message and I was I, I think the only thing I said to you was lol, like LOL, because I just... <laughs> I don't know. There was something about it. It's like I was kind of expecting something to happen. I thought it was like, this is too kind of, it, it feels too easy. You know, something must go wrong. 
And then I got that message and I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> of course. I wasn't really that bothered by it. You know, obviously it's more of an audience thing. Right. Because to me, like, the first thing I thought was like, oh, I don't have to fly. <laughs> that was the first thing. I was like, it's like when somebody cancels plans and you, and you feel like, oh, no. Right, right. I'm so sorry. I always love when people cancel plans. It's, it's, it's the best. It's, yeah, it, it was a good thing. But, um, yeah, I think it's kind of hilarious, some of the takes that I've seen. I know that, uh, I don't know if you want to get into this, but I know that Kotaku just posted something. They did, and... So, yeah, I was originally going to I felt like this was something that I didn't want to do because this is where I was getting angry, where I was going to go through and be like, here are all the things that these various websites wrote about in the last week as they didn't cover our panel (laughs) being canceled. And by the way, I don't think we're I want to be really clear about something, Chris. We're not owed a panel at PAX West. No, we're definitely not. I don't I'm not. They shouldn't have given it to us in the first place if we weren't allowed. That's exactly right. Or if or I, what I suspect, here's something that I suspect. I suspect they were like, oh, we gave this somewhat controversial panel uh, a Twitch stream theater. And they were like, oh, maybe we should not have done that. You know, if they would have just said, hey, we're going to put you in a, in, a, in a theater that's not streamed on Twitch. I don't think either of us would have had a problem. problem. I think most of the I feel like we would have been like, oh, yeah, all right, that's fine. Right. Yeah, I don't I mean, I don't personally care about that, but I know that that was big for the audience. Obviously, most of the audience I couldn't attend. And we were right. planning on making that an episode of Sacred Symbols Plus as well so that everyone can hear it. But we were really just trying to go to PAX to do a video game panel. Yeah. <laughs> and our video game podcast is apolitical. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no politics in it per se. I mean that more from an ideological standpoint. Yeah. When something relevant comes up that's political, we bring it up. And yeah, we make jokes about making two, or Tuesdays great again and all that kind of stuff. Those are just jokes. Right. And even if they weren't, even if we really meant like, who cares? But also, I think the the situation is that what I've seen over the last week that really bothered me more than anything is just watching our audience get dragged through the muck as if they are these terrible, irredeemable Nazis and bigots and stuff. Yeah. Dude, I just want to be Your really fan base is really toxic. Yeah. It's like our fan it's base hilarious is toxic. Though because yeah. like I, when I responded to somebody who was celebrating the fact that we got our panel taken away, I was like, yeah, we've got I got some new patrons out of it. It's pretty great. And in this Kotaku article, they were like, oh, and of course, Chris's audience swooped in and called him a dumb fuck or whatever. And it's like, what the about king the king of pe- autism, what? I think, was yeah, one of them. king of autism was another. That I was didn't know that there was autism had a king. But then, but then I was like, monarch. you bring that up, but you don't bring up the fact that when they canceled our panel, people were like, or, or when they announced that we had our panel there, people were like, oh, you should throw milkshakes at Colin. None, none of that. No, right? no, no, it's none, none of that that's that's shown. None of the threats of violence towards us. And I, I want to talk a little <laughs> bit about that because I'm not I don't find it so funny anymore. You know, and I, I don't find this funny for a lot of different reasons. Right. And, and, and like you said, the, the biggest reason for me, Chris, is just the complete demonization of our audience, the othering of our audience, like the way yeah. that this audience is being discussed and talked about and the way this this ecosystem and the way what we've built is being talked about is unacceptable and inaccurate. And that's where the dispassionate media kind of slant comes in. Because some people, Chris, were saying, like, you spent all this time shitting on the media. Now you want them to cover you? Yeah. doesn't make any sense. We wanted coverage because it was a big story and it might have helped us get leverage to do right by our audience. The second that they told us that they didn't want us there was the second that I was like, fine, we won't be there. But we have some other questions and things that we need to tend to. Right. I, I want to know why it happened and I want to know what you're going to do for our audience. Right. Yeah, I think it's reasonable. I don't think that's asking too much. We're not allowed to. We're not welcome. We're not welcome in the game in, in amongst our peers. We're not welcome amongst our fans. We're not welcome at these various panels or at these various shows. Mm-hmm. And be let me be clear, Chris. There were threats against us. Oh, yeah. 
if we ever showed up. And that's why I had to tell my audience like, A, to be perfectly frank, I don't know that I'm ever going to attempt to do something like this ever again. If we do a live show and maybe we will, it'll probably be at a theater with security and all those kinds of things, because it's not that I don't trust you guys and you gals out there, but it only takes one. Right. Right. To hurt us or hurt. God forbid, hurt someone around us. The other thing that I think is important that I wanted to bring up here, although it doesn't have anything to do with this show, is that Fireside Chats, which is my interview series, I'm thinking about canceling it because that requires incredible trust between me and the person coming into my house. And now I know that there are people out there that literally want to and actionably want to hurt me. So now I have to really think about like, again, it only takes one. Mm -hmm. This is the unfortunate situation we found ourselves in. This is the cascading effect. But at the end of the day, I just feel for our audience and I just want the people to be, you know, so for a lot of people that were going to see us there, they're like, all right, that's unfortunate. We'll go see other panels. We'll enjoy yeah, the yeah. show for that's great. But for the people that were affected, I shouldn't have to be paying for your passes. I am because I'm nice, <laughs> but I shouldn't have to be paying for 20 people's passes. PAC should be doing this themselves. Again, they had no problem using us for, for promotion. They had right. no problem using you for your money out there. They had no problem with any of that stuff. And the media is not dispassionate. The media is inherently biased and they didn't write about this and didn't try to get us leverage to get answers and solutions because they do not like us and they do not like you. And that's it. Yeah. Well said. So, yeah, I'm upset about this. Mm. But I really, I really feel like this showed the bare ass for everyone to see of what we are talking about yeah. on the show sometimes. This is co contributing and I think actively and maybe even intentionally contributing to the unpersoning of me. Now mm -hmm. the unpersoning of you mm -hmm. and now the unpersoning of our audience, the othering of us, the othering of our audience and the celebration. See, like when people celebrate that we don't get our panel, that's fine. But when people are celebrating, if you go to reset era in these other places, like, yeah, fuck Collins fans, fuck Chris's fans, fuck them. It's like, really? And yeah, it was a great boon for us in our show. More people than ever are going to listen to our show. OK, that's, that's the thing, though. It's like if if we had just did our panel, no one no one would have cared about us. Like we would have gotten nothing out of that. It right. would have it would have just been the people who already know about us in a room asking questions about trophies in Bloodborne or something. But because, you know, because they canceled us, it just brought so much more attention. And it's like, isn't this the opposite? It's it's weird because isn't that the, the, the opposite of what deplatforming is supposed to do? Like, I don't I don't know. It just seems like such backwards ass shit. And it kind of reinforces the opinion I've always had about deplatforming, which is it, it doesn't work unless you straight up scrub a person from the entirety of the Internet. This doesn't work. It literally always pretty 99 percent of the time. It always helps the people. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, mean, I, I just certainly, don't get it. I mean, it's but see, the thing I've been saying over and over again, Chris, is that to your point, I would have much rather just done the panel. Yeah. And, every, and I appreciate everyone's support. I hope that you guys stick around. I hope that you enjoy the content. I know for a lot of people, this was like this was what put, needed. We needed to get pushed over the edge to just show some support and stuff. And I appreciate that. We're not saying that at all. Mm -hmm. But dollars to donuts, dude. Last week was a complete waste of my time yeah. dealing with all this stuff. I would have rather done the panel, met some of our fans, had some fun, bought sure. some stuff on the on the show floor and went home. And our, our patrons were already growing. We didn't need that extra bump. Mm -hmm. So I really even with Ethan Gakis or Gotch's story on Kotaku, he ended the bottom be like, oh, the silver lining is that their Patreons are now much bigger than ever or whatever he said. And it's like, dude, I guess that's a silver lining, but that's not the way we wanted to grow. I'm not even trying to be controversial. No, like this was the anti-controversy. <laughs> I, I don't know. understand because people are always like, oh, the, the victimization is always they're always talking about these problems. Well, stop victimizing us then. How about that? We're not going around asking anyone for anything. No, 
We're not we're not confronting people. Our show is incredibly balanced. I think actually, I, I think so too. Yeah, we bring up. I mean, just weeks ago, we were talking about Bernie Sanders and how how influential he was by going to Twitch and by unionize by talking about unionization in games. We bring up whatever the news is. We have no political ideological slant that precludes things being covered or people being allowed on the show or things being discussed. It's just I just don't get it, and I'm really I'm really annoyed by it. But I I, I guess the die is pretty much cast. We just don't we're just not welcome. Yeah, you know, you know I mean. It's 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 strange. This is the first time this has happened to me, so it's like, ah, I'd imagine this is like what? How many times that have you had to deal with these people? Yeah, constantly. I'd I, imagine I, for you, it's probably like insanely irritating. It's irritating, especially because it just. I mean, like to your point, if you're talking about it in literal terms, right? Yeah. Every time they come after me, it helps me. Every time I get a bigger audience, the Patreon grows, all that kind of stuff. But again, that's not what I'm trying to do. That's not what I'm looking for. What we want to do first and foremost is make great, entertaining, informative content that is for everybody. If it's for everybody, I don't care about your ideal. As long as you're not fucking nuts. I don't care about your ideology. I don't care about this color, your skin or your nationality, where you're from or your religion. It doesn't matter. We have fans all over the world, all over the political spectrum. It's time for us as a group, I think, to start fighting back against this in any way we can, because I think that it's reached ahead. And I think it's just it's just so blatantly obvious that this wasn't covered. Yeah. And that the fan base wasn't assisted because of who we are. And I just wanted to point that out there. So I'm sorry. We will not be a PAX West. And that's that's not our choice. And the cowards that run PAX and the cowards that run ReadPop, which is the company that kind of oversees PAX, that's just what they are. They're fucking cowards. Yeah. Because it would have been very easy to just say like, hey, Chris said this once and we just feel like it's inappropriate. I've been like, all right, well, that's bullshit. But at least le- thanks for letting us know. Yeah, no, exactly. Or Colin, you said this or you did. That. I'm like, I don't know what I could have said or done. Accept- I would have accepted that if they were like, we don't like your musicals or whatever. And right. It's like, all right, I get that. You know, just it's tell a bit, us. It's a bit edgy. Yeah. For now. Wh- but, but just uh, give us, just give us an, like, give us something to go on. They're yeah. the, they're the, it's their fault that this has turned into this great conspiracy theory, not ours. I mean, for sure. I've published everything I've written and, and put it all up there to just be as transparent as possible with the audience. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really un- unfortunate. So it sucks that we're, uh, it sucks that I'm, I, it sucks that I'm being unperson specifically because I'm so much better than a person. I'm beyond a person. Right. You're you a know? super person. Yeah. You're a super I'm a human. small God. Or small, aren't you? <laughs> All right, so I wanted to get that out of the way. I'm sorry if we're we're bitching and whining I mean, we and complaining about, about that, it. but we got to talk about like, it. What are we, we're gonna ignore it. <laughs> no, we, we can't ignore it. And obviously, I'm just disappointed for the fans, and I just I'm yeah. sad for the fans, and yeah. that, and that's basically it. Yeah, I'm used to it. I'm used to getting beaten up. All right, let's move on. Chris, I wanted to just briefly acknowledge the El Paso and Dayton shootings. There were shootings in the United States uh, in one day. Yeah. Uh, mass shootings with, uh, I think, something like 30 combined deaths in El Paso, Texas, on the border, the southern border, and then uh, more in the industrial north in Ohio and Dayton. And uh, I don't have much to say about this other than it's really terrible that these things keep happening. And mm. I, And even as a Second Amendment person... I feel like there's more that we can do to stop these things from happening. And I think that it's high time in the United States. I think a lot of people have identified this, but it's high time to identify that we do have a racism issue that pervades every aspect of life. It seems particularly with this resurgent white supremacy. Yeah. And I'm not saying I was reading about the KKK last night 
actually. And I was like, you know, all these kinds of things. There's like 3000 members in the KKK. I'm not saying that this is like a wide net of lots of people or whatever, but it's just sad to see these things happen. And I think we have to just be honest and brutally honest sometimes about what it is. And I think that's why our show, that's why I'm so confused about the reputation of our show in some quarters, because we preach like peace and prosperity and egalitarianism and all those kinds of things. And so I just wanted to wish my very best and our very best uh, to the people that are affected. I know a lot of people want us to talk about this in terms of Congressman McCarthy and Donald Trump and all these guys blaming video games and stuff. I don't really even want to give that any oxygen. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say that we got to be better to each other and to start treating people based on the content of their character and not on anything else. These immutable characteristics that are meaningless. Yeah. Um, very sad. It's, uh, beyond depressing. Yeah. Very sad situation. Chris, the next thing I want to talk about before we get into the games we're playing and some of these other inquiries from our audience before we then get into the news. This is going to be a long episode, I think. Yeah. This ESA leak. Right. I've seen a little bit about it. So the ESA or the Electronics Software Association is basically the video game industry's lobbying arm in the United States. They're in Washington, D.C., and they run E3 as well. And there was a massive leak of data from various uh, journalists, media types that attended E3 this past year. And uh, actually, SideQuest's lead writer, Sophia Narwitz, SideQuest is my YouTube channel. Sophia Narwitz is the one that broke this story. And uh, so basically, the story is, is that the ESA, just bl a blind link on their site, had the ability to just download everyone's media contact information, including their addresses, their phone numbers, everything. That's crazy. This apparently was in the open. I didn't I had never heard about this until Sophia broke the story and uh, until Sophia was really char leading the charge on that. But in reading about it since then, it appears that people have known about this for months and have had this in their possession for months. Uh, <laughs> Sophia's story basically just broke it wide open. And uh, I'm not crazy about the way Sophia has been treated by some journalists as well because yeah. she's being blamed for exposing the hack. But she actually did the right thing by alerting the ESA, telling them to take it down, calling them and emailing them, seeking, right. I think, legal counsel, all those kinds of things. You mean like the things that they're supposed to do? Right. It's yeah. not her fault that the ESA <laughs> did this. And by the way, the, the the document was already, it seemed, in other people's hands. So it would have probably inevitably been leaked anyway. But basically, this affects everyone that went to E3 in 2019. And... It's an incredibly sad and unfortunate situation. Uh, the media definitely reported on that, by the way. They, they definitely reported on themselves. I'm curious what you think about uh, this situation. Do you have anything to put into it? I, I didn't want to put it into the news because I feel like it's not really the news. Yeah. I, I mean, this has got to be one hell of a class action, right? I'd imagine. Right? You could probably pull that off. That's a lot of information that's just out there now. Yeah. As I that's wild. As I understand it. Class action lawsuits, or at least one, is already in action, and and I imagine the ESA is not long for this world. Now, I, I think the only, <laughs> I think the only, so ESA has had behind the scenes trouble for about two years now. I think we talked about it yeah. a little bit about it on the show. They are losing money. E three accounts for about fifty percent of their revenue. The re, so ESA is supported by about fifty publishers that donate money to them. Mm. And then half of the revenue is also from E three ticket sales and and you know, all the booth fees and all these kinds of things. And I wouldn't I don't know if E3 itself is going to go anywhere because they'd probably sell it in a bankruptcy hearing or whatever. But or the name. But I don't think DSA is going to exist for much longer. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that they can financially stand this because now they're going to be sued and they're going to have to pay out monies from publishers that pay them to begin with. So I think that this is the uh, the unraveling of DSA. I knew E3 was going to go away. I didn't think it was going to be like this. Yeah. So. Very sorry to all those that are affected. I didn't go to E3 this last year, so you did actually, didn't you? But you didn't I, have a media pass. I don't think I did. I go. I don't know. 
No, you didn't go this <laughs> I year. Don't actually. Even I don't remember you, I what, the, you, what the hell I did. I think you went last year. Yeah, you're, you know, you're right. I went last year. As I mentioned earlier, Chris, Sacred Symbols Plus is the second episode of Sacred Symbols we're going to be doing every week. It's going to go live on Fridays. Ad, it's always going to be ad free. No ads at all on it for anyone. Uh, but it'll go up Fridays for five dollar and up subs on Collins Last Dance Patreon and then the following Monday for a dollar and up subs. So basically all you have to do to get the second episode of our show every week is to uh, contribute on our Patreon at any level. I think the two or five dollar levels are pretty sweet spots, if I yeah. do say so myself, for most of the audience. That's where you can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas, get early access and also get ad free access and all that kind of stuff. So something to look into, something to look forward to. We're going to record that episode right after this. It'll be our first party draft. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to that and also looking forward to hearing from the audience as well. So look forward to that. Please look forward to it. Joe Frantic wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, just a quick check in. Do we still get the video version if we can close the month above 5,500 patrons? Less than 100 away, a silver lining for the whole PAX thing. Actually, we're well above that number now, which I appreciate. But and I've, I've said this on the show in the past, I believe, but and I think most people have seen this, but I actually removed that goal in the spring. I think in April or May, I want to say I removed that from Patreon because it wasn't showing any movement. So Sacred Symbols Plus was kind of the next attempt to do something new that might drive some support for us. And that has obviously worked. So no, no video version of Sacred Symbols. The, that goal was removed long before the goal was met. And yeah, we're going to do Sacred Symbols Plus in lieu of that. By the way, I mean, some people are like, I contributed because of that. I understand that if you really feel like you were ripped off in some way, you can re reach out to me, I guess. But I don't think so. I mean, that was just a goal that wasn't met. So we took it down. Yeah. Adam Barnes wrote into us and said, what's up, boys? Quick correction. Last week, you were talking about Team Bondi. Bondi is pronounced Bond like James I. Bondi. Team Bondi. You say, I'm just saying it over and over again. Yeah, yeah. I don't really care how you say it, but the people from Sydney are dickheads and will never let you hear the end of it. Was it? Were we saying Bondi? Yeah, I said Bondi. And by the way, when I said that, I, I felt like it was wrong. Yeah. I was like, I don't think that's right, but yeah, I didn't want to look like an idiot and call call you out though, because I wasn't sure either. Well, you could have, and now nah. you now you made us both look like idiots. So thanks for that. Damn. Jake Whitaker wrote in and said, "Hey guys, just a quick question regarding ads on CLS, Colin." If I recall correctly, I remember you saying when you launched CLS that you wanted to keep it ad free for the most part. I can't help but notice constant ads on sacred symbols. Just wondering why or how your mentality changed on this. Not trying to put you in a corner, just genuinely curious. First of all, you should not be noticing constant ads. On if they're seeing constant ads on on the free feeds, you should let me know because that's not supposed to be happening. Maybe one or two ads a show is what you're supposed to be hearing. Yeah. But yes, when I launched Collins Last Stand, the political show, I said that it would be in 2017, two and a half years ago. I said that we wouldn't put ads in it and I never did. But that was for that show. Collins Last Stand is much bigger than that show now. And so uh, ad support began with fireside chats and moved on from there. So I, I know that that's a confusion for some people. I wanted to address it. Yeah, that's reasonable. Throw it out there. Dan, Ag Ag what is this? Dan Igilinski. See, this is a weird. I mean, I guess it's not that weird. Igilinski. I don't know. He said the new. <laughs> he said the new Star Wars game is being built on Unreal, not Frostbite. So last week we talked about Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order from Respawn. Right. Published by EA. We assumed that it was being built on Frostbite, but apparently it's being built on Unreal Engine. So I just wanted to throw that out there since we were wrong on that. Trent Miller wrote into us, Chris, and said, hey, fellas, give me liberty or give me death. Chris, I think I know your answer. Is give me liberty or give me death. Give me death. Yeah. yeah I give me death, that, 100%. I, I assumed that. I liked that question, Trent Miller. Yeah. Obviously, this is a this is a, a great old quote. Give me liberty or give me death. Uh, not Thomas Paine. Maybe it was Thomas Paine. Yeah, I think it was Thomas Paine. No, it wasn't. Good old Tommy P. 
It was a Virginian, I think. Anyway, yeah. Give me liberty or give me death. We all know the answer. Yeah, 100%. Lebanese cheese wrote into us. Okay, I'll bite. He says, enough with the dream slander. That's written in all capital letters. <laughs> hey, Colin and Chris. So you guys always seem to point out how dreams isn't a game and bring up the point that not everyone wants to create levels. Whom or hmm? If only there was an option to play the levels. You are seriously ignoring the whole play aspect of the game. When the game launches official, when the game launches officially, people are going to have a plethora of levels to dive into and play without having to create anything. Also, Media Molecule already confirmed that there will be a full-length single-player campaign when the game launches. So, what's the issue? It's the same thing as Little Big Planet One and Two, only in a 3D space. While I do agree that the game took way too long to make and probably won't sell gangbusters, I do think it has potential to be one of those hits with streamers, especially in the nostalgia-fused era, where some of the biggest streamers just dive into dreams and play the Battlefront remakes and the 3D Cupheads and the reimagined Final Fantasy VII's while streaming their reactions. Anyway, just thought I'd share some input. Longtime fan of you. Thanks, Chris. It definitely will be a good stream game, I think. Mm. But I think the issue here is that when the game launches officially, who the hell knows when that is? And also... I'm not super sure because it's been a, a couple, it's been like a month or two since I've played it or since I bought it, but I'm pretty sure I paid money to download Dreams. I'm pretty sure, I remember exchanging money. It's $30. It's $30 for an early access thing, which is I already kind of like, ah, ah you know, mm, maybe not. So I think it has that going against it. The fact that I paid money for a thing that does not have a single player campaign. I'm sure it probably will. I, I'm telling you based on what I've played the game, the levels that are there that are made by Media Molecule that I can recall playing were not fun. So that's a problem. But I don't know. Maybe it's a taste thing. Maybe it's me. You know, it's entirely possible. But it's, I don't know, man. It just, it's not looking fantastic. No, it's, it's certainly not. I wanted to bring this up. This should be on everything. That's a, this should mm. be a multi-platform game. I don't get it. Well, I don't get it. I don't think that the game is even going to come out in its full version. And I, I don't know how you... I don't know what the fuck's going on over there. I, I just remember I brought this up earlier and I think this is such an important point. I think this was a, ma a massive mistake on Media Molecule's point uh, part and Sony's part in the early access announcement on PlayStation blog, as people might recall, they said that there was a limited number of of places in the early access and you can still buy it. So that goes to show you the expectations versus the popularity of the show itself. Or I'm sorry about the game itself. I think that there's a big disconnect there. I wanted to bring it up because we get quite a few messages of people thinking that we're too hard on dreams. Maybe we are. Yeah. Uh, I want to be balanced in our approach to the game, but it's not the same thing as Little Big Planet 1 and 2. By the way, Little Big Planet 2 was made in two and a half years. Little Big Planet 1 was made in about three years. Those are the, that's the first thing you might want to throw into your to your little assessment. It's not like that at all. Little Big Planet also had a, a main character and a campaign, not stages to go through and test. Right. It's it's not the same thing. I'm sorry. It's not the same thing. I'm not even a media molecule person. I haven't played Little Big Planet in 10 years and I can tell you that it's not the same thing. Right. Just not. No, for sure. So I want to I want this to do well because I don't want any game to fail. But I, I think that it this game's in for a bruising, man. I, I don't know what's going to happen with this, that they're hiring people to make stuff in it. I think is strange and uh, I wish them the best, but I wouldn't be surprised if this game never came out any further than it is right now. Maybe they, maybe they keep it at $30, add to it. Maybe it's got its little group of people that play it. But I, I, I can tell just by that early access, that's a snafu on their part, man. Like, they let they let us know that they had a limited early access space and you can still go buy it right, right now, months later. So there it is. Not ideal. You can host the best backyard barbecue. 
when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Jonathan Broussard wrote in, said, hey, Colin and Chris, have either of you had any experience with the Sony Rewards program? I received an email early last week about it, vaguely remembering I signed up for it. Well, it seems that I had earned some points over time from getting trophies. Turns out I had had amassed almost 7,000 points, in quotes. I laughed thinking, wow, I may be able to get a sticker or something. Turns out I had enough points to purchase Resident Evil 2. I was going to wait for for a BF deal as I could get the physical copies. I don't know what the Black Friday. Black Friday, okay. All right, I'm supposed to know that that means Black Friday. I mean, just context B- clues. A- BF deal. What is a B? What a boyfriend deal? Big now, fucking deal. A big fucking deal. It could be. That also could be true. It was a great surprise, and I was curious to know if either of you had experience with this. Thanks for keeping Tuesdays great. I've been hearing about this program. I'm not in it. As far as I understand, they're winding it down. This was not something that was like meant to to last too long. So maybe some other people have some points out there, but I have to contend, Chris, I was going to wait for a BF deal as I still collect physical copies. I don't know how you knew that, and I don't know how I was supposed to know that. So two questions. It's context clues, man. I was going to wait for a BF deal as I like to collect physical copies. What so what sells physically? Right. I mean, Chris, I would have never figured that out. I'm telling I, you right I, now, it never. I don't know. It seemed seemed pretty da- pretty damn obvious well, to me. Maybe you're smarter than I am. I am a small god, as I said earlier. Nikolai Casio wrote in and said there have been placeholder pre-order listings for PS5 at one thousand dollars. <laughs> no way Sony would make this mistake again, right? And he actually wrote R dash R dash right. You know, ellipsis question mark. There's no way the PS5 is going to cost a thousand dollars. Probably even half that. <laughs> Can you fucking imagine? This happens every generation, guys. Every what generation, if? people start putting up pre-orders for the maximum amount they think it would cost, and then they would refund you. I assume. Don't pre-order the console until it's announced. Yeah, you're not so, going to have a problem getting it if it's when it's announced. Generally, good advice. <laughs> Calm down. I mean, I pre-ordered PS4 at E3 when the pre-orders went live, and PS4 was really fucking popular, and I got it no problem. So I imagine PS5 is not going to have. Any issues. PS5 is not going to be as popular as PS4. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. Not going to happen. So, Chris, let's talk about the games we're playing. We both played Wolfenstein Youngblood. I'm really interested to hear more of your thoughts on this because my thoughts have evolved a great deal since we talked about it last week. And I want to know what you think. I I like shooting Nazis. It's very fun. It's fun. It feels good. I think it feels a little bit better than the previous ones. A little but just by a hair. Uh, but the re- everything around it frustrates the hell out of me. I don't know why anything that's in it is in it. I I really don't like the characters at all. Jess and Soph. Jess and Soph. I don't. You're badass, Jess. You're you're awesome, Jess. Whoa, killer! And it just it feels like these are supposed to be eighteen year old girls, yeah. but they 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 read and speak like thirteen year old boys. <laughs> and it's really it, there's like an uncanny valley thing going on with it that it's just like this feels so incorrect, right? A little weird, yeah. It's just really off-putting, and like the the whole co-op reliance is just not what I want out of a Wolfenstein thing. I don't like being downed and then having to call my AI to revive me. I don't like finding enemies that I can't do damage to because it's level-gated like it's an MMO looter shooter RPG. It's not a looter shooter. I've seen that a lot. But you do loot and shoot in it, which is kind of weird. You're looting basically you're the looting same like, thing, ammo and money. In well, I, I I made a video about it actually. It's, it's you're looting in the same way that you're doing like you loot in Bioshock. 
You know, you take mm. money and you get ammo and like maybe you'll find like some kind of experience bonus or something. Right. But you're not actually getting like a like a the the denaziator six thousand when you hit, kill like a random Gestapo uh, or anything like that. The it just the level design I think is 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 pretty solid, but like the whole overworld and the whole like pseudo open world, yeah. it feels really tacked on and not developed enough, and it it just makes every encounter feel really samey. I don't know. It, it, it's a shame because the shooting feels really good. It does. It's just like Rage in that sense where I'm like, this is fun yeah. to play. And I guess not a huge surprise. Same publisher, different developers, obviously. But yeah, I, I think that this game was experimental, as we said last week, in some way. I think they're just trying to figure out what people want. And I think this is a way for Arcane specifically to kind of put their fingerprints on Wolfenstein. I don't think we wanted Arcane's fingerprints on Wolfenstein. I definitely, noticed, I definitely noticed a Dishonored type feel oh, definitely. as the way the... As far as the way the world is set up, like the whole districts and like the way that it's it's kind of open world, but it's also like level based. Yeah, def- there's. De- um, I mean, it's, def- it's definitely arcane. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I agree with you. But yeah, I just don't think this works. I feel like Bethesda has been on like a huge experiment thing recently. Like they've been experimenting a lot. Here's Fallout. It's multiplayer. It's a looter shooter. Hey, here's Wolfenstein. It's a co-op RPG with level gating. Someone, someone, here's Rage 2, here's Doom, but like open world and not as good. Yeah, someone said, I don't know if this is true, but someone said Doom Eternal has a hub world. If that's that's true, I'm going to fucking lose it. Because that's, if it's separate, if it's a thing that I can go to in a menu, right, and not have to come back to, I'm all for it. I'm down for a little hub world in Doom, as long as it's separate. I don't want it in there. Because they said, like, you can see how Doom guy spends his free time, and that's that sounds funny. I'm down to see that. I don't want to have to see it, though. Right, right. Yeah, so, like, the Croft Manor. Agree? Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is in Tomb Raider, for people that don't know, or in some Tomb Raider games. So, I, I think that with Wolfenstein, I just don't know that this is the direction I want the series to go into, but I don't think the, the series is going to go in this direction, because it's not really machine games. I really feel like this is, well, like we said last week, I really think this is a Rage 2 situation where, yeah, it made it. Yeah, okay. It's the same thing with like, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. machine games made this game. It's like, no, I don't think they did. It's arcane. I don't think they did make it. And I don't have a problem with Jess and Sofa's characters. My, my, and I actually think the story is really interesting if, if people explore it, because it's really about how the Third Reich is crumbling and how there's a power struggle at the top, which is kind of what Man in the High Castle is about, too, which is a fascinating thing. Like what happens when Hitler's dead? Hitler is the cult of personality yeah. as their children. What happens? And that's like a really interesting alternate history thing that I, I like. But they don't channel it in any way that's meaningful or in any way that's coherent. Instead, I'm running around these streets. I'm lost half the time I'm running around. The more I play it, the more I don't like it. And I will say that I got to the last boss. I'm way over leveled. I'm playing it on normal. And the boss is just beating my ass to such an extent that I, I dropped it to easy and I still can't, like, I'm like, this is, and then I went online to look and people were like, this is fucking not, this fight is nonsense. This last fight is nonsense. And so I'm like, fuck it. I, because I, I was like, all right, maybe I'll back out and maybe just go get some new equipment. I didn't get like a big, huge, you know, Gatling gun and maybe I can get some more leveling. You can't leave. Trapped. So unless they patch that out, I am trapped in that last boss fight. Yeah. Can't leave. Have to figure it out with what I have, the strength I have. That's it. That's like all I've got going for me. And uh, so it's it's a bit of a disappointing end to an experience that I actually thought started more promisingly. But I, I think that you got to abandon this hub world stuff. I Like to your point, I would rather just do this in menus. I don't need to be in a hub world. 
Yeah. I don't need this. Because it's just time you're spending not fighting. Like, you, they can't, you can't craft meaningful enemy encounters if you're, if you're constantly backtracking through spaces that are persistent. Like, it's not possible. What's wrong with the linear... What's wrong with what you've been doing that everybody likes? I don't get it. It's especially peculiar because machine games bakes in these time attack modes and these extra modes on stages that already exist, but they were always choosable by menu. Right. So I, I don't understand. I just don't... This is too much production. And what I wonder is like if you just didn't make that hub world and make all these characters that no one cares about and instead just gave us like missions and menus, how much better would have this game been buffed out? Maybe you could have, I don't know, balanced the last boss fight a yeah. little bit better, and for instance. And it's like experimentation is good and all that, right? And I I, I, I would I encourage all sorts of developers to try all sorts of new things. That's really, that's, fu- that's great, right? But when you try a new thing and it's really just a kind of played out thing, like a hub world is, I, I've played... Countless looter shooters. It, 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 the whole game, every looter shooter is hub worlds. You know, this isn't like a new thing. At this point, where we are at in 2019, a linear shooter is a new thing. It's a new. It, it compared to what we have. You know, it's classic. It's old. But there's a reason why Doom 2016 was rejuvenating. There's a reason why Wolfenstein, uh, the New Order, yeah, was so was so fondly talked about. And it's because it abandoned all of the new bells and whistles and all the garbage that had been cluttering up modern shooters. You don't need it. You've got a strong foundation here. Just build on that foundation. I absolutely agree with you. I think that we have to be, or not we, we don't make games, but devs have to be less afraid to do things that work. And players, I think, have to be a little bit more forgiving about not everything being the most expansive, the most open, the most nonlinear, the most agency driven game, because that doesn't serve, I would argue, most games. Yeah, no, it doesn't. I, th- I th- and, and in fact, I think it's more impressive when you have a linear shooter that's engaging than when you have like an open world that's engaging. I think it's far more. I feel like it takes a lot more skill. It takes a lot more talent. I feel like the designers really know their shit when they're when they're capable of pulling that off. Whereas in an open world, I feel like all they really have to do is make a map with AI that responds relatively well. You right, know? tell your own story. Yeah, as it's it like, were. I do that already. I right. could do that in a linear shooter with a great story. Anyway, I, I totally agree with you. I think I think making a game like Bioshock is much harder than making a game like Fallout Three. I I totally yeah. think no, they're from I, the same era, so that's a pretty good, pretty good matchup. No, I agree. And Bioshock's a much better game as yeah. well, <laughs> without a doubt. Tony Rivera wrote in and said, "A sumptuous toast and a frothy stein of wolves to you, fine gentlemen." I don't know what that means. That's a horrifying sequence of words. <laughs> I just watched a comparison video of Wolfenstein Youngblood from Digital Foundry on YouTube. One of the guys mentioned he bought a Switch version in Germany, and it was referred to as being sanitized for the German market. In quotes, hmm. the video footage shows the Nazi swastika is replaced with a strange triangle symbol on all the in-game textures. The game was not surprisingly delayed in Germany, most likely due to the censorship required to change the makeup of the game. What do you guys and our fellow German listeners think of this? It's a part of human history, but is the Nazi timeline that sensitive to general audiences in Germany? I read an article about how Germans praised Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards for the revenge tale against the oppressive Nazi regime in Paris. So why is Germany now censoring the gaming equivalent of a story that runs parallel with the same film, at least in setting? Thought I'd write in and hear your say on this unique take of censorship. Thanks for all you do and keep those... Those testes zesty. <laughs> I don't know if you needed to say. I don't know if you need to say that. Uh, so I'm not going to spend too much time on this, and I don't know if you have an opinion on it, Chris. But Germany has pretty strict laws about Nazism, about 
fascism and Nazi idea, uh, iconography. Now they are weakening on this. I actually thought that Wolfenstein Youngblood was not going to be edited, as far as I understand. I think you're saying the Switch version is, and maybe the other versions aren't. I'm not sure, but they have a pretty long history in Germany of scrubbing that out to not offend sensibilities, and some of that stuff is literally offensive. Like, I, or not? It's literally offensive, of course. Literally illegal. Like, I think it's illegal to fly a swastika in Nazi right. Germany or not in Germany, <laughs> while in the United States, you could fly a swastika. That's not illegal. It's obviously in horrible taste. Yeah. So I think that that has something to do with it. But I think the cultural norms are starting to shift now that their generation of of people that fought in the war are dying, just like ours are dying as well. So. I think it, I think it's a little bit weird to censor a game that's about killing Nazis in a country that is particularly sensitive to Nazis like you know what I mean yeah it feels like a weird thing to want to protect but I don't know you would think you would really be eager to do it to to show everyone it's like the guy that says I have a black but when you call him a racist he's like my best friend's black yeah you know he wants to show he's black he wants to show you (laughs) and so my deity is black (laughs) no yeah it just just feels like um it feels like like a reversal kind of deal it's like it feels like you wouldn't be doing this if you if you felt like you know, actually being sensitive. I don't know. It feels weird, but I'd imagine it's probably going to lean, be more, a little bit more lenient as time goes on. I think things are bending there a little bit more, but yeah. that has historically been the case. I mean, if you go back and look at the original Wolfenstein, a very different game in Germany, the Wolfenstein 3D I'm talking about. And Glorious Masters, by the way, has aged phenomenally well. It's so funny he brought that up because good movie, but it's because so, I've been saying out loud, Aaron's been like looking at me, I've been like, when I've been playing Wolfenstein, I've been saying killing Nazis, just killing like Nazis, just like uh, the Brad Pitt's character. Buongiorno. <laughs> killing Nazis. John Hastings wrote in and said, howdy, Krusty Colin and crepus- crepuscular Chris. I don't know what that means. I've never heard of that. I'm word not before. even going to look it up. New patron here who's wanted to join for a while, but didn't get that final push until you guys got screwed by PAX. Wolfenstein Youngblood has come out to very split reviews with a veritable chasm seeming to exist between user scores and critic scores. It's impossible not to notice if you look at Metacritic. This is something that's become far more common over recent years, and this is and this time, it doesn't even seem like microtransactions are to blame for the rift. They are there, but most of the criticism drills down into gameplay, story, and other key elements of the game from what I've seen. I'd love to hear your opinions on the game, and I'm sure you'll share them. We've already done that. But beyond that, what do you think is causing this growing disconnect? between critics and gamers when it comes to how such crucial aspects of a game are viewed, it doesn't seem to get or be getting any better. What do you think of this, Chris? What he's basically saying is that if you, and I've noticed this myself, I don't think user scores are are especially useful. I don't think scores are especially useful from from, uh, outlets, but there's always this gap between, or often a gap between the Metacritic score and the user score, either too high or too low. What do you make of that? To me, it seems like the Occam's razor explanation is that it's just like people being dickheads. One way or the other. I'm not sure it's the media being dickheads yeah. here in this in this case. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty probable, actually. I think it really is just people being a little bit cynical, you know, and a little bit harder on games that maybe don't necessarily deserve it sometimes. But also, I think a lot of game outlets are kind of afraid to, to go in on things that really deserve criticism. I think there's so many games that are like nines that have no business being nines. Yeah, you know? the, it, it explo- no one explores the scale, and so it's hard to... Right. What is okay? What is mediocre? Everything is either... Amazing, a masterpiece, or fundamentally garbage. There's no in between. <laughs> and it's kind of, you know, and I feel like when you go into the critic space on YouTube anyway, I feel like it is a little bit more, you know, nuanced in that sense. People can be like, you know, over over the top and like, I hate this game. But I still feel like they, they're not quite as, you know, um, they're not as quick to just sort of give games a pass, I think. Right. And I feel like that's what kind of leads to the divide 
I agree with you. And I don't know. I just think that there's such an adversarial relationship brewing between many sides of the games industry that it's not a huge surprise that these things wouldn't line up. I think what's important is that you just find critics out there, whether it's us or someone else or, you know, fans or friends online or friends, you know, whatever that has tastes that line up with yours. I think that that's the most important thing in such a such a subjective field as this. Yeah, it's hard to line everything up in a way that will please everyone i mean that's just kind of the nature of the game yeah i remember being baffled when people were people were responding positively to days gone i remember being like how how is that possible it's because you're a fucking idiot (laughs) (laughs) i like the swig of the water it really really added to that thank you i needed to i needed my throat was getting a little parched so i needed a little water finally before we get into the news and We'll get there sometime. Jonathan Barnett wrote in and said, what do you guys think about Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled adding microtransactions? For those unaware, the game was originally launched without any and featured an in-game currency system that gave players Wumpa coins every time a race or battle was completed. Players would receive more coins based on their performance and the difficulty of each track they played, and there would even be a daily bonus for playing online. Players complained the rewards were too low, and about a month after the game launched, uh, I suspect due to bad press, he, he guesses, Activision has added the option to buy Wumpa coins. To me, it seems as if Activision has created this grind for players only to come in with a solution of paying them more for to bypass the grind, a problem which they created. Mm-hmm. Chris, as a fan of Crash Team Racing, what do you think of this? Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. Ultimately, the game is still pretty fantastic and all the stuff is cosmetic anyway, so it's not really that big of a it's not going to affect me. It's not going to be like I'm not going to be like, oh, man, I can't wait to sell my copy of Crash Team Racing. You know, uh, I, I'm not feeling that. But I do think. In general, it's a scummy practice to launch a game without microtransactions, get good press for it, and then sneak that shit in. I think that's just generally unethical uh, because you know that you're going to be coasting off of the good uh, off the good press from the reviews that have already come out. So that's there's I don't know that that feels really scummy to me on like a visceral level. I agree, although I always return back to the same thing over and over again, which is just don't buy them right right right. but then just launch the thing with them Mm. is also the thing it's like i don't i don't like the thing that there's there's a new thing in this game that is completely absent from every single review now so if people are looking that looking that stuff up they're not privy to that information unless they're like you know looking at the news or whatever well you shut me up good there didn't you but no i don't know i just you you know i I, I agree with you i don't think it's a big deal in fact you know like i have i have the game on like three separate you know, <laughs> hardware uh, consoles, you know, so it's like it's it's not really that big of a deal to me. I'm not really that invested in the grind because it's already so split, but I just don't like that practice. It feels really if there's something about it that feels really fucked. Chris, let's get into the news. Let's do it. It's a big piece of news here at the top, a very big piece of news. In fact, this news happened like right after the last episode went live. Number one, PlayStation 4 has officially surpassed 100 million units sold making it only the fourth video game console in the nearly five-decade-long history of the industry to reach triple digits. Nintendo's Wii sits at just north of 101.5 million units sold, while PS1 is at 102.5 million, and PS2 is at a likely insurmountable 155 million units sold. If you count handhelds, Nintendo's DS is just south of PS2, while the Game Boy, Game Boy Pocket, and Game Boy Color line sits at around 119 million. PlayStation 4 reached 100 million units sold faster than any console that achieved this milestone before it on the back of 3.2 million PS4 sold between April and June of this year. Consoles are dead. 
This time around, the financial mumbo jumbo isn't as interesting as this little tidbit from Sony's financial results concerning PlayStation 4 software. Last quarter, the company sold more games digitally than at retail, which is a first and along with recent terrible news about GameStop and games retail generally will likely facilitate game retails fall even further. So before I go even further, I just want to reiterate that Sony sold more games on PS4 digitally last quarter than at retail. They sold more games digitally than at retail. We have finally hit the inflection point. It took a little while, but we are finally there. All right, there's more though. There's more. While digital software sales are down 4%, physical software is down 41.5%, which just further illustrates that. As bullish as things seem, however, it's worth noting that Sony has actually downgraded its estimate of PlayStation 4 consoles sold in its fiscal year, lowering its 12-month sales prediction from 16 million PS4s to 15 million. The PlayStation brand is now responsible for a staggering third of Sony's overall profit, with hardware contributing slightly more to the bottom line and so-called network services like PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now up 10.8% year over year. PlayStation Plus memberships are up from 33.9 million to 36.2 million year over year. These overall results, when combined with Sony's other initiatives, accounted for the most profitable first fiscal quarter in Sony's history. Sismigu Peter wrote in and said, hey, guys, as you know, the PS4 surpassed 100 million units sold worldwide, which is an amazing feat for Sony. Do you think the PS5 has any chance of getting close to that number? And if so, what does it have to do in order to achieve that three digit million mark? Sismigu Peter, way too early to talk about that, but I highly doubt it. Chris, what do you think about these sales figures? 100 million units sold. It will pass the Wii, it will pass the PS1, and it will settle somewhere, I think, probably in that Game Boy region. That's pretty, it's pretty wild. Especially like, I mean, like I interjected, it's, it's def definitely amusing to hear it after, you know, the whole, you know, 2012 consoles are dead. They're dying. No one's going to want a console. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. is the future. <laughs> it's funny. It's cool to hear. It's nice. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't think that they wouldn't hit a hundred million, you know, so it's nice to see it happen. It's, uh, it's pretty remarkable stuff. And yeah, I, I'm, I don't know what else to say about it. Like, I just, you got to applaud Sony for this because it's unbelievable. It's really an unbelievable thing. They did this on the back of, like Chris said, what was perceived as a dying console market. Its competitor and Xbox isn't doing it exceptionally well. So it's not like they're mixing it up like they were the generation before in kind of a high, high tide raises all boats situation. And Switch is obviously taking off in a great way too. But Switch, I would even argue, is benefiting from PlayStation 4, not the other way around and the environment that it's kind of created for new games. So uh, I think it's an amazing feat, and I think Sony deserves many congratulations, because it's not only that the console has sold a lot, like Wii sold a lot, but the Wii sucks, mm -hmm. you know, unequivocally. Yeah. <laughs> the PlayStation 4 is a wonderful console where I think if Sony experiences any issues, we might talk about this later, although I don't know if I put it in. I think, they're I think the PS4 is so good that they're going to have a hard time selling PS5s because of it. No, I, uh, I think I agree. It's going to be definitely, like, difficult to wean people off something, that, especially when it's, like, just kind of a solid thing. A solid machine that, that's been with them for a long time, it's going to be difficult to justify that upgrade, I think, um, where it might be easier for some other manufacturers out there. Think about the trilogy of games coming to PS4 that still haven't come yet as well. Uh, we have Death Stranding, we have The Last of Us Part Two, and we have Ghost of Tsushima. All big games, plus little A games that we'll talk, you know, we've talked about and we'll talk about, like, Medieval there's a lot coming to the console still that's going to sell more consoles. And what I'm interested in now, the only thing I'm interested in here, Chris, is we know PS5 will be backwards compatible. We have an expectation it'll come out in the fall of 2020. If these games get pushed too far out, so let's assume like The Last of Us is in the spring, maybe Ghost of Tsushima is next summer. 
do people just start saying like, I'm just going to wait to play these games because I'm going to I'll play them on PS5. I'm not going to buy a PS4 now. It's a very interesting conundrum they found themselves in because they, they might still buy the games, though. That's true. But they might not have the console to play them on, I guess is what I'm saying. In other words, if you're not right. a PlayStation guy, are you going to go buy a hundred and fifty dollar PS4 or whatever they'll cost at that time to play Ghost of Tsushima? Or are you going to see the shiny thing on this on the uh, horizon that will play these games? Do you wait? That people, might be a little bit of a problem for people, them. People like the shiny thing. I like the shiny thing. Me too. I love the shiny thing. I feel like this is a Seinfeld uh, conversation. <laughs> love the shiny thing. Gotta love have the shiny, shiny thing. thing. Chris, number two, Sony has revealed PlayStation Plus's free games for the month of August 2019. The free games are available to anyone with an active PS Plus account. And remember our usual reminder, go and add these games to your download list, even if you don't intend on playing them now or ever, because you may want to later. The two free games are Sony published racing compilation Wipeout Omega Collection ah, and Hardcore FPS Sniper Elite 4. The game should be free around the time this podcast publishes and can be downloaded through the end of the month. Are you looking forward to that? It looks like yes. you are. You like yes. Wipeout. I love Wipeout, man. You love your ah, Liverpool studio. Wipeout Pure, man, on the PSP was like, the th I played that until I think my PSP exploded. It was so good. And PSPs, were, the batteries were literally exploding in them. Yeah. Oh, man. That makes me happy. I didn't even realize that there was a PS4 version of it. Yeah. This Omega Collection, I think, is... The PS3 and Vita one that came out early on 2048 or whatever. Oh, and then no, I think whatever. some others. I don't know. But I think this also might have PSVR functionality. I could be wrong on that. That could be insane. So, you know, every time I see Wipeout, it makes me wonder why they closed Sony Liverpool and then they just keep making Wipeout. But nonetheless, here we are. Pretty good collection of games, actually, this yeah, month, I'm especially really after last, last month's fucking garbage. <laughs> yeah. Number three, according to a posting on Reddit, as relayed and confirmed by website Kotaku, GameStop has laid off more than 50 regional field leaders. GameStop told its employees, quote, as part of our continued GameSpo uh, GameStop reboot transformation initiative, a dedicated team has been working diligently to realign our current field regions and districts in an effort to reduce our cost structure and build efficiencies into our field leadership organization so that we can invest in the business. What a fucking large amount of jargon oh that basically God. just means you're fired. Unfortunately, with these changes, there are more than 50 field leaders who have been impacted and will be leaving the GameStop team. This includes regional, district, HR, and loss prevention leaders. These decisions are not easy, but necessary to help us reduce costs to en enable investment and revenue driving initiatives that will help grow the business once again. End quote. We wish our best to those affected. Yeah. GameStop's in a lot of trouble. I mean, we talked about this last week. GameStop's in, uh, GameStop is in existential trouble now. I think. And these layoffs aren't really a huge deal indicating anything. Uh, the store closures that are going to be coming up next are going to be the ones that really wrap things up. Because if you're getting rid of your regional directors and your district managers and the HR that goes over all these, then that means that they're going to start closing a bunch of stores. So we w obviously we have people that work there that listen to us as well. And we're wishing you all the best. Yeah. Number four, as we discussed several episodes ago, President Trump's trade war with China may affect the price of video game consoles in particular coming out of that country. Now, Sony is sounding the alarm that it may need to raise prices if that happens. Takashi Mochizuki of The Wall Street Journal relays word from Sony's CFO, Hiroki Totoki, saying, quote, we believe and therefore have told the U.S. government that higher tariffs would ultimately damage the U.S. economy. End quote. While promising to remain vigilant, in quotes, and remain in keeping an eye on the problem and identifying solutions, Totoki did admit that it may at least pass some of the price on to consumers, which would obviously make PlayStation 4 consoles, PSVR units, and ultimately the PlayStation 5 more expensive for Americans. While American tariffs are already in place at rates as high as 25% for certain goods out of China, game consoles aren't in the categories currently affected. 
However, Trump has threatened to expand the tariff umbrella to an extent that game consoles would be affected, along with lots of other consumer electronics, including game hardware from Sony's competitors, computers, and more. Connor Brost wrote in and said, hey, CNC, new patron here, been a fan a long time. Welcome, Connor. What are your thoughts on how America's new tariffs will affect the next generation of consoles? Because of the potential price increase, would this make for a slower start to the new generation? Thanks and keep up the great work. I'm looking forward to finally seeing what's so great about Tuesdays. Well, welcome, Connor, and hope you enjoy that. Chris, this can be problematic. Yeah, without a doubt. It would definitely do a hell of a, a hell of a halt for the next generation, I think. Now, this would create a really weird ecosystem. PlayStation 4 isn't backwards compatible, so I, or I'm sorry, it is backwards compatible, so I assume uh, PlayStation 5 will not be region locked and it will be, and it's obviously going to be backwards compatible, right? I'm, I'm misspeaking here. Let me say that again. PS4 is, re, is not region locked, but it is not backwards compatible. Sony h- hardware since Vita has not been region locked. So this would create an instance where people would maybe import consoles from other regions, and that would actually be cheaper than buying the console here because of the high tariffs if Sony puts those costs on consumers. I don't think game consoles have anything to do with why they'd reverse this, but it's going to hit consumer electronics, including iPhones, uh, including, you know, your Nexus phones, whatever, your Android phones, your computers and your laptops. I think that's why they're going to put a halt to this pretty soon. So I don't think anyone should really worry too deeply about it, but we'll keep an eye on it. And we'll, you know, we have time. My biggest concern or my not concern. It's not a concern at all. My interest would be is if Sony would actually try to get out of China and make the consoles elsewhere. I'm not saying that they would make them here but maybe make them in Hong Kong or make them in Cambodia or Vietnam or right. something like that, where we have a better free trade agreement. So I don't know. I don't think they would do that. No, I don't think they can do that. These guys have relationships going so deep with Foxconn and the uh, 20 cents an hour they pay their workers that I don't think that they want to. <laughs> and by the way, I'm not against tariffs in general. I'm actually somewhat of a protectionist, which is not very popular with a lot of people. I just don't think you can convince Sony to make video game consoles in the United States. You can convince Ford to make you know, F-150s here. You can convince Kenmore to make washers and dryers here. I don't think Sony gives a shit about making their consoles here. They just, it's not going to be reasonable for them to do that. Right. There's no reason to threaten them with uh, tariffs that are not going to work. Number five, PlayStation 4 exclusive art themed action adventure game Concrete Genie has a new release date. While it was originally intended to come out earlier in 2019, it'll now launch on October 8th. Concrete Genie is the second game from Sony owned studio Pixel Opus out of Northern California. The team's first game was Entwined, which came to PS4, PS3, and Vita in 2014 and was famously announced and simultaneously released during E3 that year. Sony is offering a digital deluxe edition of the game for $39.99 that includes not only the game, but a digital soundtrack, digital art book, a theme, and more. There are also pre-order bonuses even if you simply purchase the $29.99 standard edition early. Have you looked into this game at all, Concrete Genie, Chris? I've seen a little bit of it, yeah. It's an interesting looking game. I'm a little concerned when they're releasing it because they have another second part. I mean, actually, Pixel Opus is internally developed, I guess, or internally incubated, but they have another smaller A game coming out in Medieval later that month. So it's a little weird that they're publishing these two games next to each other. But I'm looking forward to Concrete Genie. I think it looks pretty neat. It looks very artsy. Yeah. Looks like a change of pace. I think Pixel Opus's first game entwined was very underwhelming. I think it's taken them a really long time to make this game. So I want to see how it all works out for them. But we'll be wishing them the best. Yeah, I dig the style of it. It looks really neat. 
The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Number six, Borderlands 3, the eagerly awaited FPS RPG, has officially gone gold, meaning it's ready to be submitted for certification and publishing. On Twitter, developer Gearbox Software wrote, quote, We are pleased to announce that Borderlands 3 has gone gold. Thank you to everyone who worked so hard to make this happen, end quote. Or, I'm sorry, we'll see you September 13th, Vault Hunters, then the end quote. Borderlands 3 is the first Borderlands game uh, launched since 2014 when the 2K Australia developed Borderlands the pre-sequel came to PlayStation 3 and later to PS4. The last Gearbox developed Borderlands game was Borderlands 2, which came out way back in 2012. Are you excited, Chris? Borderlands 3. I kind of am, yeah. yeah I've been too. playing through Borderlands 2 on uh, PC with a friend of mine from the UK, and it's actually genuinely like a lot more fun than I remember it being, even though I didn't remember having fun with it. Uh, and if it's, you know, sh- if it's shown some, you know, some growing from when it, from when it once was, and if it, if the gameplay is a little bit more modernized and a little bit less, you know, if the shooting is a little less awkward, you know, which I presume it will be, uh, then I, I see no reason why this shouldn't be like a, a pretty solid, a solid buy. I think I'm looking forward to it. I'm really excited to play it. I like yeah. Borderlands. I like Borderlands a lot. I think it's, an, an, I think it's a very influential series. Oh, without a doubt. And I'm really interested to see how they react to all of the influences now that are out there that were influenced by them and so on and well, so yeah. forth. Well, you can like slide now and like clamber and stuff. So they've act- obviously taken cues. It's the old uh, Tomb Raider, Uncharted, Tomb Raider, Uncharted yeah. thing. <laughs> Number seven. Sony has been doing a lot of work ingratiating itself with the Chinese game development community. And the next step in the initiative is to get Chinese games on the PS4, PSVR, and ultimately PS5. This continued the last week with China Joy 2019, where it announced a bunch of Chinese developed games coming to PS4. Two websites we cite a lot, Push Square and Gamatsu, did a great job of organizing all the various games that were announced. Keep in mind that these games are far are, are from and for the Chinese market first and foremost, though some, if not many, will migrate to Japan and westward, with some already announced to do just that. So things are a bit mixed up here right now. But this is a pretty exhaustive list of what was announced and otherwise shown for PS4. Action RPG The Welkin World, cartoony dungeon crawler Metaverse Keeper, fighting game Metal Revolution, 2D action game Neon Abyss, Top-down roguelike Blazing Beaks, Warship Simulator Refight The Last Warship, Visual Novel Went Refractor, Maze Game Crown Trick, NBA Jam Game Like uh, like Basketball Game, Project Dunk, Survival Game Undying, Co-op Action Game Biped, Horror Game In Nightmare, Side-Scrolling Action RPG The Oriental Exorcist, which looks really good, an adventure game called Mars Alive, or end an adventure game called Mars Alive. Chinese games coming to PS4 that have already been discussed, but were shown again, include multiplayer shooter Convalaria, action RPG AI Limit, third-person shooter Evo, Evo Tinction, 2D brawler Fist, Metroidvania Anno Mutanium, and Monkey King Hero is Back, which is based on a very popular Chinese animated film. So lots of Chinese games coming That's to PlayStation. That's a lot. Jesus. Pretty cool. Yeah. Very smart. Now, I wonder if a lot of these games will be localized and come to Western consoles as well. It's unclear. Yeah. But China Joy is a really interesting thing that Sony's been doing. A nice... First of all, there's a lot of uh, development talent there, apparently, and a lot of untapped development talent. It reminds me a little bit of Tetris being developed in the Soviet Union and how that was extracted by Nintendo, ultimately, to come to the West. China's doing a similar thing here. And I I don't know if anything like Tetris is going to come out of there, but 
something probably awesome is going to come out of there that we're going to be really surprised about. Oh, yeah, for sure. Number eight, Riot Games, the mega developer and publisher most famous for MOBA League of Legends, is officially working on a new fighting game. More specifically, Radiant Games, a studio founded back in 2011 that has yet to put out a single substantial game, but that was acquired by Riot in 2016, is working on a fighting game which Riot will publish and distribute. Radiant Games drew interest because of a now-canceled fighting game it was once building in Unreal Engine 4, a game called Rising Thunder. However, that project was seemingly abandoned by Radiant after Radiant bought it. Website Gamasa reports on information on the stream given by that studio CEO, a man named Tom Cannon. He said, quote, back in 2016, when we joined forces with Riot, I said that we were going to join or I'm sorry, we were going to go in the hole for a while. And I want to be able to let people in on maybe like the worst kept secret in the universe, which is I can confirm that we are working on a fighting game. The reason why we did Rising Thunder in the first place was because we felt like fighting games just deserve to be enjoyed by more people. As big as things are, we think it has the potential to be bigger, end quote. Riot Games' primary product, League of Legends, is now 10 years old, and with two dozen offices around the world employing some 2,500 people, the company will eventually need to put something new out if it wants if it wants to remain as big as it is. Perhaps this is it. It's unclear if they will bring this to console. They did not bring their other games to console. Yeah, League of Legends I think they, is still pretty stranded on PC, I think. I think that they will bring this game to console. I think that's where it makes sense. Yeah. What a do you think game? of this? Yeah, of course. A Riot Games fighting game. I mean, it's a Riot Games published fighting game but owned by the studio they own is making it yeah but uh, eh, i we'll see i i'm not a, i'm not a, i'm not big on league of legends yeah i had some I, friends in college who want who were, who were like trying it. to get me into it i played a couple rounds and i was like i guess this is fun in like a candy crush way you know which is probably like a, a heretical thing to say i guess but I, I i didn't jive with it maybe a fighting game is a bit more my speed uh we'll see i'm i'm interested They've got my attention, I suppose. Yeah, uh, I wish them the best. I really do think that they need to do something. I, I know League of Legends is still big, but I can't imagine it's growing. I, I, I would have a hard time believing that. So, yeah, especially with so much competition in the esports space, I have a really hard time believing that League of Legends, uh, League of Legends might be healthy, but I don't think it's like this massive phenomenon like it once was. They must do something else. And so this might be it. And I think that I agree with them. Fighting games are so fascinating. We're going to talk about Evo in a minute, but the fighting community is so fascinating. I'm, I wonder how they feel about letting more people in and making it more accessible. I think it's actually good for the genre, but yeah, we'll see how it all works out. Number nine, we officially have word on the promised beta events for the upcoming Call of Duty game, Modern Warfare, not to be confused with the other Call of Duty game, also called Modern Warfare. PS4 will get the beta first, running in early access for those who pre-ordered the game from September 12th to September 13th. The servers will then briefly go quiet before coming back to life for an open beta on PS4 from, from September 14th through September 16th. Meanwhile, crossplay beta testing will kick in a little while after that with access to pre-orders on all platforms from September 19th to September 20th. And then an open beta across all platforms from September 21st to September 23rd. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is under development at Activision-owned studio Infinity Ward and is due out on October 25th later this year. Again, it shouldn't be confused with Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, also developed by Infinity Ward, but released way back in 2007 on PS3. Chris, are you excited about Modern Warfare? I actually kind of am. Yeah. I saw some uh, some interesting footage from there. They did like a multiplayer reveal event or something. And they, they, they're doing some interesting things, I think. They have this like realistic mode. I don't know if you watched any of it. No. It's kind of interesting. So they have this, re it's it's a multiplayer mode. It's called realistic mode where there's no HUD. The dark areas of the map actually require night vision goggles. If you aim down scope, your laser can be seen by other people. So you give yourself away by aiming. You can like slowly nudge open doors and toss grenades in. 
it's it's really fascinating. Like it, it reminds me of Siege, like just like some of the stuff that they're doing. So I'm I'm definitely more interested in in it than I thought I would be, and definitely more interested in it than I have been in Call of Duty in a while. So yeah, I mean I'm looking forward to it. That Anthem like <laughs> release schedule for that beta is a little a little weird. But yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot that I just said there. Yeah, but you know I'm I'm definitely looking forward to trying it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this one does. I loved the original Modern Warfare. Yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, Call of Duty 4, for people that are a little young or just weren't in the games or don't remember, Call of Duty 4 was a revolutionary first-person shooter. I mean, one of the probably five most important first-person shooters ever released, I would say. Probably, yeah, without a doubt. And so Infinity Ward kind of going back and recapturing that, I think is kind of neat, whatever they can do. But is this the same thing where people were complaining about the white phosphorus? Is Is this the same... I saw people complaining that you can like call in white phosphorus attacks on your enemies and people in, were complaining about one? that. Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure. I didn't look that deep into it. I just saw that multiplayer reveal event. But and people if were really true, upset that's about insane. that. That's wild. It's like I, I know that they're trying to double down on some of the more like they're trying to make a little bit more of a hard hitting game. I know that. Yeah. They've said that much, which I'm all for. Like, I'm totally down for that, especially because we got cheated out of six days in Fallujah. I know. You know. I feel like I feel like I want I want some biting stuff from Call of Duty. I think they're capable of doing it. You they know? did it in Call Call of Duty Four was the one with uh, no Russian, right? The stage? Uh, Modern Warfare Two was the one with no oh, Russian. No, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, man. I, I, I the white phosphorus thing, as far as I understand, is that you can call in like a perk or something that drops white phosphorus, which is terrifying incendiary <laughs> it's a chemical. Uh, devi- uh, chemical on your enemies. But I was like, uh, that, anything complaining about violence and violence and war in a Call of Duty game just rings hollow to me. You're yeah. running around maps just killing each other with the, the greatest weapons of war. And you're worrying about white. I think there are nuclear bombs in Call of Duty even. Like you're, you're worrying about white phosphorus. Yeah, in Call, of Duty, got, in Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 or in Call of Duty 4. I can't remember which one. But I know in one of them, you could, if you got 25 kill streaks, you could, you could call in a nuke that would end the game and leave everything in a devastating conflagration Jeez. of white flame. I think you got people really got to get their complaints straight about what what they're even whining about at this point. Yeah, a little little much for me. Number 10 at this year's Evo fighting tournament, Evo 2019, two new fighting games were confirmed to be in development. First up is the King of Fighters 15 from SNK. And the second up is a new Guilty Gear game still untitled from developer Arc System Works. While the King of Fighters 15 doesn't yet have a release window or year, Arc System Works is is planning to get the new Guilty Gear game out in 2020. And a lot of people were very excited, not so much about Kingdom or King of Fighters, but people love them, some Guilty Gears and some Arc System work. So I'm excited to see if uh, it's any good and people out there enjoy it. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. Those Arc, games are Arc, way- Arc System Works is pretty reliable, I think. Game's way too hardcore for me, but beautiful to play. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, watch, it's right. a beautiful uh, watch for sure. Not beautiful for me to play for sure. Number 11, this is a weird one. Website Silicon Era reports that Japan will be ending PSP repairs beginning on September 30th, all but signaling the absolute end of Sony's official support of its very first handheld. PSP launched in Japan in late 2004 and everywhere else in the world in 2005 and spanned multiple iterations. The original PSP model, as well as the so-called slim PSP model, or PSP 2000, have already been abandoned by Sony as far as repairs are concerned, but with PSP 3000 now being affected, that's pretty much every PSP model in existence phased out of repair opportunities, including the ill-fated PSP Go. PSP sold more than 80 million units in its lifetime, nearly outselling PlayStation 3 and cumulative units sold. It was all but replaced by PlayStation Vita in 2011 in Japan and 2012 in the West, though it went on to find quiet success for several years, several years during the Vita era. Apparently, the reason that they're stopping this is the same thing with the PS2 stuff we were talking about. They're out of parts. They have yeah. no more parts, so they can't repair them anymore. Makes sense. Pretty interesting stuff. For sure. Yeah. R.I.P. PlayStation Portable. I love the PSP, man. <sighs> 
It was very special. Not as special as the Vita, but it was very special. Uh, Number 12, this is a wrap-up. The PlayStation blog reports that open-world action RPG Genshin Impact is coming to PlayStation 4 in 2020, that WWE 2K20 is en route to PlayStation 4 on October 25th, and that No Man's Sky's Beyond expansion will be coming to PlayStation 4 far sooner than that on August 14th. Push Square reports that open-world RPG project Witchstone will be coming to PlayStation 4 in 2020, that Pass the Punch is a new Sumo Digital published beat-em-up coming to PS4 at some point later in 2019, and that Ghostbusters, the video game, a port of the 2009 PS3 game, will be coming to PlayStation 4 on October 4th. And finally, Romance of the Three Kingdoms 14, the newest entry in Koei Tecmo's very long-running strategy series, will come to Western PS4s in 2020. Of course, Romance of the Three Kingdoms based on ancient Chinese literature. Of course. And that series has been going on forever. I know you're a big fan of Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Oh, without a doubt. You know, I have a tattoo of it. I, I bought Romance of the Three Kingdoms on PS2, I think, one of them. Like, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, I don't know, fifth, four or five. No idea what the fuck was going on in that game. So I was like, <laughs> this is going back. And, that, and that's where it went, right back to the store. Chris, time to talk about new game releases. As tradition dictates, you will start with the first game on the list, and we will go from there. There are some doozies on this list this week. Oh, I'm, I'm sure there are. Age of Wonders Planetfall comes to PS4. Age of Wonders Planetfall is the new strategy game from Triumph Studios. Build your empire with one of six unique factions, ranging from the militant vanguard to the dinosaur-riding Amazons and the cyborg zombies of the Assembly. Whoa. Whoa. I used to love assemblies in school, didn't you? Weren't they the best? Kind of, actually, yeah. I loved them. Because it was just an excuse to not go to school. It would be completely disruptive. It was just hangout. Yeah, you just hang out. With your friends in a big room where no one could possibly call you out for not paying attention. Some of the... I I always felt bad in high school. I went to Bellport High School on Long Island. Not a very good school. All right? Just throwing it out there. Not very very well known for its well-behaved people's... uh, Its pupils, let's say. Pupiles. And... I used to feel bad for the people that would come in to see us because it's like no one cared. I know these people are paid and they have like these gigs that they do and stuff. But I just remember people like, did I tell the story in this podcast about how there was this this group called like the Hip Pickles or something that came in and they were like singing about, I don't know, drug use or whatever. in Christ? The Hip Pickles? Yeah, this was probably in the late 90s, the Hip Pickles. And they did this thing. I think I talked about this on Knockback, but I still think about this and it's really mean, but I laugh about it still to this day. They were doing this exercise where they were like uh, juggling balls and then they would say something and they would throw a ball into the audience and the person in the audience said they throw the ball back and they would keep juggling. And so then and one of the guys threw a ball at someone and the guy just nailed him with like threw the ball back at him at like 80 miles an hour and just like nailed the dude and ruined the whole segment. And I'm like. That was really funny. It's kind of mean, though. Like, I, I would that want guy to be- is one hundred percent an asshole, but he's also like a hero. Yeah, I would want to. Like, be- he gave everybody a story. I don't want to be in front of kids. I was supposed to go read to, or my, I wasn't supposed to. My mom asked me when I was home if I wanted to go read to my nephew's class. He's like, you know, six or whatever. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't. These kids are going to be. What are you going to read? Like a PlayStation Vita manual? Yeah, well, you read the book and you show them the pictures and stuff. But I was like, I, I, I can't subject myself to the mean shit that these kids are inevitably going to say to me. There's yeah. a touchpad on the back, kids. Look at that. Yeah. You, you want to play Little Deviants? <laughs> Unit 13? Want to play Death Junior 2? Death Junior 2. That would have been nice. All right, it's my turn, right? <laughs> yeah. What are we even talking about? <laughs> Corpse Killer 25th Anniversary Edition comes to PS4. You're stranded on an uncharted island of death. You're zombifying from voodoo poison. A mad scientist is on your trail. Originally developed by Digital Pictures and released in 1994, Corpse Killer has been completely rebuilt for the PS4, bringing it to a level of video quality never seen before never seen before that's what they said that's their claim oh, fuck me dry like a cyclops eye i can't believe this of course it's a japanese one 
Fatal 12 comes to PS4. Uh, Shishimai Rinka yeah, that's what thought her life was over until she woke up and continued her everyday routine as if her fatal accident had never happened. Day by day, her sense of unease grew until a mysterious girl spoke to her in her dreams. A game is about to begin. This is your chance to truly be reborn. All right. Gravity Ghost Deluxe Edition comes to PS4. Surf the night sky, careen through the cosmos, find the fox. When a ghost girl's best friend goes missing, she'll turn the whole universe upside down to find him. Gravity Ghost is a planetary platformer where orbiting is an art form. In over 100 dizzying levels, put your aerial skills to the test against planets that bounce, break, splash, and more. Yes. This one's for you, Chris. What is that? Illusion of... Lafalcia? It's L apostrophe P-H-A-L-C-I-A. I would say... Lafalcia. Yeah, Illusion of Lafalcia comes to PS4 and PS Vita. Good God. Experience epic 3D battles in a fantasy RPG. Riser and Cougar are in search of the Sword of Amal. <laughs> I thought it said Sword of Anal. Yeah, yeah. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! An artifact of legend said to grant any wish. Yeah, I bet. Uh, their, their journey will lead them into <laughs> fateful encounters with both allies and rivals only to find a mysterious truth awaiting at the end of their adventure. Sword of Anal definitely has some uh, <laughs> fateful encounters. Makai Knight's Blood Bagos comes to PS4. <laughs> Get ready for an all-new hardcore multiplayer action RPG. Stage by stage, you'll unravel the myst- mysteries of ancient technologies. Experiment with new Maki Knight equipment to change your gameplay style and stop the evil organization of Kenos from reviving a terrible long-lost weapon known as Bagos the Giant. <laughs> Metal Wolf Chaos XD comes to PS4. Uh, the country is in peril as President Michael Wilson defends the nation against a full-scale rebellion led by Vice President Richard Hawk. His name is Dick Hawk. <laughs> And the mechanized lesions he commands. Uh, As the 47th president of the United States, it is your sworn duty to take your country back by any means necessary and end this unjust coup d'etat. So I actually give them a lot of respect for this write-up, although I am a little puzzled by it. This is a From Software game. You think that they would have said that somewhere? Oh, yeah, it is a Metal Wolf Chaos game, I guess. Yeah. You think that they would have said this From Software game has never been released in the United States or anywhere outside of Japan. Here's what it's about. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> That's right. right. Oh, wait a minute. I've, I've, I remember hearing about this game. It was on Xbox. It was an Xbox yeah. game. Original Xbox. I remember Xbox, this. Jap- I Japanese think I exclusive. played it. Okay. So there it is. That's if you played it, out. you would have had to import it. This yeah. was a pretty... This well, was a, I didn't... I, I Like, I had it... I think somebody in my building, like one of my parents' friends had it and he would like let me play it. Metal Wolf Chaos. I remember liking that game a lot. So if that's what I think it is, you should definitely pick it up. Sagebrush comes to PS4. When the members of a cult take their own lives, only you can discover the truth behind the tragedy. Inspired by real world cults. Great. Sagebrush is a first person narrative driven adventure game, which thrusts players into the role of a truth seeker who must investigate the tragic circumstances of the perfect heaven cult's mass suicide. All right. Pretty on the nose. (laughs) Yeah, geez. Tactics 5 Obsidian Brigade comes to PS4. Tactics 5 Obsidian Brigade is a retro-style tactical turn-based video game in homage to console tactic RPGs from the 1990s. It's set in a fantasy setting with its own lore and magic, using techniques to convert to a 2D isometric look from 3D assets. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to look into that because I'm always always hungry for that kind of content. Yeah. The Angry Birds Movie 2 VR Under Pressure comes to PSVR. Now the birds and piggies are best frenemies. Red and Leonard team up to assemble a crack team and investigate 
mysterious Eagle Island. I don't know. But first, they must get there in one piece in a giant piggy submarine. Can the birds and pigs cooperate deep beneath the waves or will they get that sinking feeling as the pressure rises? Wonder Boy Returns Remix comes to PS4. Wonder Boy was an arcade hit back in 1986 with its intuitive controls and polished game balance. This forever famous side-scrolling action game has been remixed and reborn for the PS4. Join the adventure of a boy who's doing his best to save his girlfriend Tina, updated with high-def anime-inspired visuals and more. Your favorite. Immediately the tone changed in my voice. (laughs) Finally, Chris, Word Sweeper by Paugi comes to PS4 and Vita. I swear to God, this game has come out 17 times already. (laughs) A crossword puzzle solved using logic and deduction. The new puzzle word game draws inspiration from the classic puzzle game Minesweeper and is exclusive to Paugi. Chris, that's all of the games. Are there any other recommendations in here? Let me look again. I don't see anything that I would recommend, except for, I guess... Metal Wolf Chaos I is kind of cool. I, rem- I, I can't speak with the the greatest authority on this because this is like maybe early 2000s. We're talking like a long ass time ago. But I recall Metal Wolf Chaos being astoundingly fun. So well, there you go. Take I'm going to play for it. what it's worth. I'm going to play it. I, it's only it was only released in Japan. Some people had it. Obviously, it seems like it sounds like your neighbor might have imported it. Yeah. But that was from from software's like more nascent days. I'm really surprised they didn't bring that up in there. Yeah, it's, it's odd to leave that out. But nonetheless, Chris, let's get in the reader mail as dictated by our various traditions here yeah, on Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Let's we an- have to answer some cues, questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas. I think one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, there's eight. Well, look at that. Huh? Ooh. Pedro Alves wrote in, said hello, captivating Colin and charismatic Chris, longtime listener and first time sub here. I was wondering, what are some of the studios that have unannounced games that you are most eager to hear from? And he brings up Rocksteady, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Cheers from a big Brazilian fan. You want to talk about game tariffs, go to Brazil. Holy fucking boy. <laughs> yeah. I think they still play Sega Master System there because of that. And I'm not even kidding. So, Chris, studios that have unannounced games. For me, what came to mind right away was Gorilla. Uh, they released their game in early 2017. So it's been about two and a half years. They did release their DLC for Horizon, but they're clearly working on one, if not, as far as I understand, two projects at the studio. Uh, Horizon sequel and a shooter, maybe Killzone, maybe something else. Yeah. So that's kind of the studio I'm most eager to hear from just to see specifically what they are doing. But I'm curious. That what was literally the one I was thinking of, too. Yeah. That was the first one that came to mind, because it's the only one that I can think of that we don't know anything about aside from Rocksteady. You know? Yeah, there are some big teams. Like, like we know they, people announce shit so early now. Yeah. Like, I know what Bethesda is mm. doing in f- in six years, you know, because they've already told us. So there's not much mystery in the games industry, I feel like there's only like a handful of studios that are that are working on stuff that nobody knows about. It feels like. Yeah, anyway. definitely. In terms of studios that have been quiet for a while and have had space to now incubate their new project. Yeah, Gorilla comes to mind. Rocksteady's yeah. obviously a huge. huge I had one. no fucking idea what's going on over there, but yeah. they'll announce it when I guess the time is right. I, I, I'm kind of thinking it's somewhat obvious now that Rocksteady's game is next gen or at least cross gen. 100 percent. So yeah. imagine if it's not. <laughs> Imagine it's a PS Vita game. That would be awesome if it was a PS Vita game. That would be fucking fantastic. I would love that. Where was I? Here I am. Sam Harris. It's not the Sam Harris that we think it is, but it would be awesome if that was true. (laughs) Salutations, curmudgeon Colin and classy Chris. The oversaturation of oversaturation, I'm sorry, of content has led to a mini crisis of choice. I find myself wary at the thought of trying to decide what to play and what to leave by the wayside, hoping it dies of starvation. But thanks to good people like yourselves, deciding what games to purchase makes it a little more bearable. 
Do you think the influence of content creators like you have some leverage in determining what developers make? Do content creators and audience response have a say in the future of game development? I graciously await your answers. Have a pleasant week. And I'll boldly say that Tuesdays are indeed great again. No, I don't think so. I think we have I think we have great influence on the audience. I don't think we have great influence on developers, because if we had great influence on developers or publishers, then we would see if if our voices were the most influential, we would we would not have microtransactions at all. Because that's what everybody is complaining about. Anybody with a platform is complaining about those things. Right. But so is, what, what, what are you I was just going to say is you're talking literally, but I wonder figuratively if they're getting feedback on microtransactions that are like, well, people are using them. So right. that's also a way to speak. Yeah, for sure. Um, but what he's what he's saying is like, do, do you think we have as content creators a particularly unique um, influence over people who make games? And I'm not so sure we do. I don't really think so. Yeah, I think it's just about I think our voice is just as important as the, the audiences in that regard. Yeah, I think it's one voice that kind of speaks collectively. I think you're right there, Chris. I do think that there is some influence in not the development side necessarily, because I think that's so latent, but definitely in terms of purchasing and the choices people make. There's a, a organization called EDAR, E-E-D-A-R. I don't know exactly what it stands for, but they are a Southern California based institution privately funded that does a lot of research on games in the game industry. They do like mock reviews and they're, they're pretty well compensated for that kind of stuff. And they did a, a GDC panel some years ago. They made an interesting point that even if a game's bad, that their studies show and their data shows that as long as a game is mentioned or reviewed, it's actually good for the game. So in other yeah, words, no, the exactly. worst thing that, that can be for a game is to be ignored. If your game gets a four on Metacritic, it's better than your game being ignored. It will sell more copies. So there's all sorts of weird ties and tethers between all these different aspects of the industry that affect each yeah. other. And of course, it's like on a case by case basis. I know some developers that pay very close attention to, you know, content creators in their respective communities. Like I know the I know the Call of Duty and Halo com developers are very in tune with what the the community of content creators are saying about it. But I don't know if that you know necessarily translates to a broader spectrum of de of devs and publishers. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. But who knows? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, could be true. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. 
but those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Sherlock 93. Every time I see that guy's name, I think of Shart. <laughs> Sherlock 93 wrote in and said, hey, people, this one is more for Chris. What oh. are your thoughts on the ninja jump? No pun here to Mixer and ditching Twitch. Twitch has been BSing people for a long time. And lately with the bias regarding bands and upholding their TOS, do you think Mixer can provide enough competition for Twitch? Mixer's UI looks a lot cleaner and modern, yet it feels dead to me. I hope that changes. So he's referring to Ninja, the famous Fortnite, etc. streamer that took millions of dollars. Good for him to leave Twitch and to go to Mixer, which I think is owned by Microsoft and others. Yeah. So what did you think of this entire thing? I think it makes sense. I think it's a smart move for Microsoft, for sure. Microsoft has a tendency to just kind of like they make something. And even if it doesn't work out so well, they tend to just like funnel a ridiculous amount of money into it until it just works. Like that happened with the their their tablets for the longest time. Like no one gave a shit about their tablets. And now like only recently they've, they've been reporting that it's like super profitable right. and stuff like that. Yeah, they shoved them in. You don't watch football, but in the NFL, yeah. they use the tablets like on the sidelines yeah. and stuff. And the service, I have a service actually. It's super good. But like, you know, it's it they they tend to do that thing. I, I think Ninja will definitely help bring attention to Mixer. And I think Mixer uh, definitely does have potential to be a competitor to Twitch. And I think Twitch needs a competitor, quite frankly, because it, they're really the only live streaming platform that exists, as far as I know. Any anyone that has like a sizable, you know, reach anyway. Right. I remember when PS4 was about to launch, Ustream Ooh. came to see me at IGN and I wrote a story about them and they, I think, disappeared or are gone now. There are these other competitors, but I think what was surprising to me was YouTube gaming just washing out. Like, it just didn't work out for them, which is really shocking. And it made me feel like maybe Twitch is just not conquerable, really. Because if YouTube and Google couldn't really make headway, I don't see how a company with much less expertise in that space I, I is going ma- to well, make it happen. I think the problem with YouTube gaming was the fact that it was so it was split. It was like a separate site within YouTube and it didn't need to be like, why wouldn't you just make this YouTube like it? it they needlessly branded it as a separate thing and it, it made no sense. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I know that uh, if anything, Mixer will gain a lot from this for sure. But we'll see. And I, I got to say, just in, for, for Ninja, a lot of people are calling him a sellout and all that kind of stuff. That's hey, so stupid. Uh, I would sell out in five fucking seconds for millions of dollars and go to a platform. I mean, it's like people. I just hate when people. I, I know I've gone on and on about selling out in the past and how people are so dumb about it. Yeah. Good for him. Good yeah. for him. I hope someone offers some of you guys millions of dollars one day and we'll see. And we'll call you fucking sellouts when you take it. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's it's also just like he's a 28 year old or 29 year old. Or so, he's like old for a for a gamer, right? For like a pro gamer right he's slowing down a little he's bit slowing down so might as well catch you might as well cash in definitely while you have the opportunity athletes do that all the time like towards the end of their career they cash out for like a bunch of money yeah you know, definitely. why not why wouldn't you do that people hold out for new contracts people extract as much value as possible the thing that really i gotta say i listened to this show i haven't listened to it actually in a couple months because i'm taking a little bit of a football break just to clear my mind uh but pro football talk by mike florio is a really great uh football podcast and he always talks about why are people so upset when players want to get more money? Well, how does that affect you? You know, it, it doesn't affect you at all. In fact, yeah. it, it heightens the competition. It heightens the stakes. You're it just makes chasing better. money, man. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. You I, just want more of that thing that grants happiness and a better quality of life, man. What a what a dick. <laughs> one of my favorite quotes from any movie, Chris, is Ben Affleck in Boiler Room, which takes place on Long Island, New York. 
And he says, uh, anyone who's told who, anyone who tells you money is the root of all evil never had any. One of the greatest quotes I have ever, ever, ever heard. I, I, I was in high school when I first heard that. And I was like, that's awesome. And it always it always stuck with me. That's a profound yeah. quote, I guess. And it's it's just interesting that why can't people root for people instead of rooting against them? Someone's success doesn't come at your expense, at yeah. your expense, unless it's like literal, unless it was like Ninja and Streamer X and it was going to be one of you. Then I understand Streamer X would be upset. But why would you be upset if a guy got his money and, and it doesn't affect you? It's just weird. And actually, I saw a lot of Twitch streamers. First of all, your video about that British guy was fucking <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah. You making fun of that, that lobster backs fucking <laughs> accent. I've never heard I never heard that term before you said it. It, it. Dude, that was so it's a, an old insult from the American Revolution. That was considered like really insulting to call someone, which I think is so funny because it's like it's like a, something that they're yeah, old say. Step back. First, so first of all, your video retort to that guy was funny. But my confusion about why Twitch streamers would be upset about it. I was like, he's out of your ecosystem. Yeah. This creates a massive vacuum for you guys. What are you complaining about? It's really weird. Makes no sense. It would be like being the backup running back on a team and then the lead run, the, the starting running back gets traded. And you're like, what is that all about? It's like, no, you stupid piece of shit. Now you get to play. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you leave this. You left this team. We did so much for you. You made you, man. There's no way people really talk like that. It sounded no it, he, way. He sounded like somebody trying to insult him. <laughs> Dude, why do I love British people? I love them. UK is a lovely place. That accent's a particularly strong one, It though. seems so labored to talk like that. It seems like it requires so much effort. It's like if British was German. <laughs> it's, it's the best way I can describe it. Just so angry. Holy moly. Jonathan Lee wrote in to us. Said, hey, Moriarty and Raygun. Colin always mentions that prices of new games are bound to increase soon. With the decline of video game brick and mortar stores like GameStop and physical discs becoming less and less prevalent, what do you think is the future? What do you think the future is like for those of us who want to be more frugal? More specifically, when it finally gets to a point where every new game is only available digitally and gone are the days when we can buy a used copy of a game for cheaper than retail price are waiting for price drops possibly years later. The only way we will be able to get games for cheaper. Or do you see subscription services like a digital game fly being possible? Thanks and keep Tuesdays great. Jonathan, great question multifaceted question. Chris, the one thing I've been thinking about recently is I've been talking about game prices going up. I think that has to happen for two reasons. I think that has to happen for inflationary reasons at a base. That This is why like you, you should never keep a lot of money in a bank account, right? You should always at least invest it in something safe, like a CD or something. That way you keep up with inflation. But these prices don't keep up with inflation. So the $60 that we were paying $10 or 10 years ago is much less in value than it is today For the sure. other reason is that i think games are getting more expensive right uh, to make yeah but i wonder if with the collapse of gamestop and retail if game prices will just stay the same because the middleman's ultimately getting cut out so it would be hard for sony to justify a price increase when they're actually cutting a massive portion of their price of the necessity of the price being that way in other words uh from the equation entirely i, I wonder see, i could see them maybe upping it very slightly just sixty four ninety nine or something like that. Yeah, I could see that as a result of uh, of all this. But like, I don't know, like a GameFly. I don't know, man. I loved GameFly back in the day, but it's a very different. It's a very different time. GameStop did try and talked openly about years ago about having a used game, a used digital games marketplace, and that never went anywhere because I'm sure the content holders, the hardware guys. And the publishers are like, why in the God's name would we include you in that? Like, this is the whole thing is like middlemen are slowly being cut out. So maybe we can wedge some of the cost out of these various games and these various products. But as far as what 
Jonathan says, Chris, here is a subscription service like a digital Gamefly being possible. I really think it's going to be more a publisher by publisher pass that you're going to get. Yeah, we're already seeing that. Right. Also, exactly. And like I said, Chris, wouldn't it be nice if some of these publishers would swallow their pride and do something together? Yeah, that's not going to happen. This this is going to burst also, by the way, this bubble. Definitely. And that's why I think it would be smart for some of these guys to be like, let's just do it together. Are you ready for your Seinfeld season pass? <laughs> like what? If Square and Activision and a few others just got together and just did something like a Hulu. Again, I, I know I've said this a million times, but that that is what Hulu was. NBC and Fox and others were competing with Netflix by making a company together. That's what they did. Yeah. You know, so smart. And it worked, by the way. It totally worked. It, it, it wouldn't have worked if Hulu was founded just by yeah. NBC or just remember, by Fox or just by others. I remember when Hulu was a joke, too. Like people would like talk about Hulu and they'd be like, what the hell is this stupid garbage? It's just family like family, family guy clips. Or whatever. It's like, ah, it's so gross. And it's then, green. I don't like green. And then they have commercials. Even if you pay for it, you have to pay like the extra version to get yeah. no commercials. And by the way, I have no tolerance for the commercials on Hulu. So I definitely have the premium. No, me account. too. Yeah. Handmaid's Tale, one of the great shows on TV is on Hulu. You guys should go check it out. Man, the High Castle's on there too, right? Amazon. Oh, no, it's Amazon Prime, which I also have. Fuck Idiot. <laughs> you dumbass. Adam Clark wrote in and said, hi there, my dude's been listening to Colin since Beyond 200 and finally stepped up my game and became a patron. So this is my first question for me. Thank you, Adam. Has going for a platinum trophy ever ruined a game for you? I recently got the platinum for Spider-Man and story-wise loved the game. But every time I unlocked side missions, it dragged me away and pulled me right out of the flow of the campaign. In the end, I really regret going for the platinum as I'd have enjoyed it so much more if it wasn't for the side bits. The main story was awesome and emotional, but the side bits just seemed half-baked and generic. I think I would have appreciated the emotion of the game and the pacing of it a lot more if I had just concentrated on the main missions. And it makes me question whether to keep going for Platinums in games since. Hope you are well. Keep up the good work. Chris, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, especially because Spider-Man was your first Platinum trophy. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man was like my 82nd, I think. So we have different we have different <laughs> yeah. takes on this. Uh, first of all, Platinums do ruin games sometimes. I will say that. But I'm, I'm much more interested in hearing your take on this, Chris. Well, I, I chased the Platinum only after I beat it and knew that it was a game that I kept, that I wanted to continue playing. I didn't necessarily... I also thought it would have been nice to have my first Platinum be in a game that's sort of tangentially related to the first game on PlayStation I played, which was Neversoft's uh, Spider-Man. But also just, you know, I, I think I would never play a game to go for the Platinum to the point where it would ruin it to me. Crashing Racing came really close, but like even when I was like playing for that Platinum... I would take breaks and just play the normal game. And I realized, oh, okay, so this game's not going to be ruined for me if I'm still playing it, you know, on my breaks from chasing the platinum. But, you know, you got to space things out a little bit more. Maybe evaluate whether or not you want a platinum really hard before you actually go for it. You got to plan that stuff out. I, I, I've, I've yeah. said that before. And I can see that ruining things for me. It, it does. Like, it, it, it can ruin it. it. It's a very concise uh, way to play a game. It's a very specific way to play a game, which I find fun. Like Bioshock, Platinum and Bioshock, which I did on PS3 and PS4, is a really fun experience because you can't die. You have to play it on the low. You can't use Vita Chambers or Vita Chambers. And that. Uh, you, you have to play it on the hardest difficulty level. There's a bunch of shit you have to do in the game. You have to get all the collectibles and stuff, but it's like a very meticulous game. So it made a lot of sense there. But I will admit, readily admit, that certain games I've become really frustrated with and wish that I didn't even bother. Like Bloodstained is one of them where... It's like, this is obnoxious. This is absolutely an obnoxious thing that you're asking me to do to, to get the platinum trophy in this game. And I becoming just more as time has gone on, I've just become more comfortable being like, ah, fuck it. You know, like I, I, I didn't get it. I'm yeah. not going to like fuck around with this forever and ruin 
ruin the game for myself. The other thing I've been doing, Fell Seal, I'm still playing. I'm almost to the very end of the game. I'm at like 50 something hours now is I've just been playing it like once or twice a week as I go for the platinum. And that's kind of steadying me a little bit so that it's just like a thing I'm working towards, but it's not interrupting me playing other games. So yes, platinum trophies have definitely ruined games for me. And there are times where I pop platinums where I'm like, fuck this game. I actually think God of War on PS4 was one of those games where I was like, fuck this shit. And I like just deleted <laughs> it off my console after those Valkyrie fights. And oh yeah, I didn't even bother. Holy with shit. That's a whole section of the game that I didn't even bother with. Dude, the, the queen Valkyrie fight is something else, man really difficult in that game for me anyway mm-hmm. Ross Joseph wrote in and said hey CNC been following you both for many years and have only finally decided to now become a patron glad I did ad free is better well welcome Ross thank you ad free is better my question for you both now that we have seen the success of the switch being a handheld and docked console do you at all hold any hope for the PS5 that it would be able to combine these two things possibly be a very powerful docked piece of hardware but with the ability to take it away on a trip and play with downgraded specs I'm thinking similar to Razer laptops, which can be connected to the Razer Core X unit to really pump up the gaming specs. Keep up the great work. I don't know, Ross. Chris, you're a little bit more technologically advanced than I am. To me, this strikes me. I'd love to see a new Vita, for instance. I think that that would be awesome. I would love that. Uh, A third handheld. It seems much more likely that there will be very, very specific ways that you can play these things with tablets and phones. Hooking yeah. up your DualShock 5 in Bluetooth mode to your iPhone and play that way. For sure. I think that that's probably the direction they're going to go in. The ubiquity of all of that technology and the fact that the install base is already enormous means that the risk of going through with a venture like that is so minimal. You know, compared to launching a whole new type of hardware in a market that you're not really all that sure of. Because what even is, what even is the Switch really you know how do you analyze that as far as like a portable versus a home console market it's it's kind of nebulous really so i i would imagine that because smartphones and laptops are so ubiquitous and most people's computers these days are probably strong enough to run you know decent games at like at least like a little bit lower than a console i don't see any reason why they would invest in a lot of r&d building hardware which, by the way, they probably would lose money on at launch. I, I yeah, I, I see it. I see it being more of like, what do you have already, and how can we make that part of your experience with our machine, as opposed to let me sell you a new thing. Definitely, I definitely agree with you. I think the risk reward here is just too dissonant for Sony to take advantage of it because, yeah, like you said, R and Ding hardware is expensive in itself. You have to create the hardware, you have to put it out there, you have to support it with PR, you have to hope that your, by the way, dying retail partners hold it and yeah. carry it. And you have to support it with first and second party games. So there's a whole nother thing you have to concentrate on that will take away from PS5. So I would love to see a handheld, but we're just not going to. And yeah, so I think that your remote play stuff is going to happen through your phone. And yeah, your phone is not going to be a good proxy for controls, but that's why I think your controller will hook into it in some way. And you know, mm-hmm, yeah, which I, I think, think already I think happens. We'll, pro- in some we'll way. probably have Bluetooth controllers. Yeah. You know, as a standard, I know the I know the Xbox one elite controllers is Bluetooth enabled, I think. Or at least the new one is, the one that's coming out soon. So I'd imagine that that's probably going to be some kind of barometer for what the next generation holds as far as like a standard. That would be great. A Bluetooth controller? Ah, perfect. be very cool. Yeah, I would love it. uh, Juke. I call him Juke. (laughs) Jake Blanchard. Juking, of course, is tricking people where you're going on a football field. Hey, Colin and Chris, what are your thoughts on the concept of console generations dying out? 
PlayStation in the past have come out and said that generations aren't going anywhere with PlayStation. Xbox have come out and said the opposite with the tagline Beyond Generations, accompanying the launch of the Xbox One X. Personally, I'd prefer traditional console generations. I don't think developers should have to work around the limitations of previous generations of consoles, and I find the jump between generations much more exciting as the leap is so big. If people want to iterate so much, shouldn't they just go to be PC nerds? Thanks, guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what we're going to be seeing is we're going to see those big leaps, but within the generation. I, I think what will happen is, especially especially this next generation, because Sony knows that it's going to be really difficult upstaging the PS4. I think it would benefit them greatly to just be like, here's the new PS5. You know, it's way stronger. And it's basically a PlayStation 6, but... It's a PS, you know what I mean? Right. I feel like I feel like we're he- heading into that direction now. I don't think that necessarily means we're not gonna, we're going to see the end of generations, but I think we're going to see the end of hardline. You know, we're going to see the end of colloquialisms of that of the generations ending. I think. I think so too. I mean, the generations have already been somewhat asymmetric for a while now. Yeah. And so I think that it's just it's already happening. I mean, think about it. We came out in 2006. Xbox 360 came out in 2005. PS3 in 2006. But then. Wii U was 2012, if I recall. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then 2013 were the new consoles, and then Switch in 2017, and then PS5 and Xbox One, or Xbox, whatever the fuck they're going to call it, in 2020. So the generations are already breaking down. Yeah, and and I think we're already at that point, kind of. My roommate, uh, one of my roommates has a base Xbox One, and I have the, the most recent, I think it's the Scorpio, the Xbox One X. The disparity between them as far as, like, how games run is hilarious. Like, we're already at that point where we've already had <laughs> a next-generation Xbox. We're just going to keep getting new ones, and we're going to keep getting the same thing with the PS4. I, I know the PS4 Pro is a little bit less of a, of a jump, but we're already there where we're accepting the fact that hardware is just going to have iterative upgrades because technology is evolving so quickly that it's just necessary. You can't come out with a AAA game three years after you launch your console now because it's going to be horrendously outdated. Absolutely. It's just gonna. It's just how it is. I'm also not convinced that these new consoles won't be modular in some way. Uh, I, I don't. I wouldn't bet on that, but I, I just think that that's smart. I, I just think it's smart to give people away and to not even name it PS5. I said that about PS4 too, but... PlayStation. Just name it PlayStation. And that's it. And that's the end. And then it becomes... Because I slowly think the, the units are not going to be even necessary after I think a while. it would be smart, yeah. I know... Because I know the Xbox app is already just the X, Xbox app. Right. You know, on PC, so... It'd be, neat, it'd be neat if we had just PlayStation and Xbox. That'd now, be, as I've said ad nauseum since my podcast Beyond Days, 4 is pronounced she in Japanese, which is also, I think, the pronunciation for death. Oh, and good. so we, we long thought well, that they would never name it PS4 for that reason, right? But they don't call it the PlayStation she. They call it, in Japanese, the PlayStation 4. You know, so, like, in English. That's so, that. Well, that's probably just because of their more... American focus now anyway, because yeah. they've launched the system here, you know. Well, the word PlayStation is not yeah. Japanese. Well, right. But I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like no, just I, the, the I overall cult. The that sounded culture. meaner than I meant it. <laughs> Jeffrey Leonard, Chris, he has the final inquiry for us. Oh, good. Hey, Colin and Chris, longtime listener and first time patron. Do you think that older video games from past generations can be appreciated by a younger crowd that didn't grow up with them? I'm speaking more specifically about games like Grand Theft, the Grand Theft Auto trilogy and, the, and Metal Gear Solid, how those graphical styles can grow outdated. Can amazing gameplay and narrative redeem a game that is covered in old generation pixels and polygons? Love the podcast, guys. Just know that we all appreciate how you handled this situation with PAX. Thank you so much, Jeffrey, for the final question, comment, concern, thought, or idea. 
So I, I think that the N64 PS1 era just doesn't hold up very well. But I think that because he's talking about great gameplay, can that overcome? I would argue, and I think people would have a problem with this. I would argue the original Metal Gear Solid does not play well. So you don't want to play that version of the game anyway. So not only does it not look good, it doesn't play right because yeah. it's tanky. No, it, it doesn't play well. So but I think that if you're like a 15-year-old playing Metal Gear Solid for the first time, you'd be like, what in the actual fuck is this? The, and I think you'd be right on saying that. Yeah, there are very few games from that that generation specifically. Like NES, SNES, that shit plays great still. Absolutely. Um, and it looks great still because the art has just held up that well. But that that generation, the 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 early 3D 4A, is so so you could tell that there's so many growing pains in that generation. Now that there aren't games that control fantastically, like Mario 64 controls insanely well for how old that game is. I'd argue Crash Team Racing is up there with like one of the best controlling games in that generation. But for the most part, yeah, I think that generation is going to have a hard time. But overall, can can people enjoy games that were popular before they were before their time? For sure, if they're well, like I mean, Tetris is like a pretty fantastic example. Tetris is, predates me by quite a while. Yeah, and I, I loved it. Tetris is probably like one of my favorite games of all time, if not the best one. Man, it's excellent. It's timeless. It's a perfect game. Yeah, it is. It actually is a perfect video game. Yeah. Now. I hear what he's saying that 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 turn of the century era is just not great. Like even I went back to Grand Theft Auto 3, which is a game I loved. I was in 12th grade when that game came out and I went back and played it on PS4 a year or two ago. And I'm like, man, this is fucking bad. And I and I I know how this looked. I understand. I remember how it felt and it's bad, you know. And so, yeah, there's probably like you said, like going back to the NES or SNES, specifically side scrollers. A lot of those games are still as great as they ever were, but. Something has been lost in that era, which is why I think remakes and re-releases yeah. are so important. Like Metal Gear Solid 1 just re-released as it was, but they just fixed the controls and the inventory system. Good enough for me. That would That's different because then I'd be like, well, this is awesome. But yeah, you don't want to go back and play Metal Gear Solid. I would even argue you don't want to go back and play Metal Gear Solid 2 or 3 because they don't play right. You know, they're like I, I wouldn't recommend I, those. I, I love three a lot, but that could that could just be me. I mean, but the way it feels to play you like. Well, I. It feels guess, old to me. Well, yeah, I, I guess it does feel a little bit dated, but it's also, I don't know, it's just so charming. But That's, I guess that charm would be lost on people who didn't grow up with it. So it, yeah. it, 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 that I, th I think, for the most part, I think PS2 upwards is pretty safe. Like, the original Xbox and the PS2 have games that still control fantastically. And uh, it, it's just that first one, man. The PS1 and N64 is just such an awkward period. Yeah, agreed. Know? Agreed. Totally agreed, especially N64. No offense. I've That's been playing Resident Evil 4 recently. Mm. I only played it once, like a long ass time oh, ago. Oh man, no good. No, the controls. I love it. The tank controls. The tank control. I like it. Oh. I don't know what the hell. I can't play like that anymore. I'm not. I'm not set up. I like playing like the that. Camera so natural. The camera is natural. The way the camera like sways around your your dumb body is really awkward. But everything else, like I'm really I'm really digging that game. I talked shit about the Wii earlier, but I must say. The Wii port of Resident Evil 4 is definitely the best game or definitely the best version of that game that I've played because oh, really? you can point to the screen, which is nice. Oh, yeah. I, eh, mm. I didn't mind that. It was much easier to play. I played Call of Duty 4 on, on the Wii. I remember that was an experience. Yeah, I remember people playing it in the office, various Call of Duty games because we'd have to review it and like people waiting to get these games. Like you couldn't even if I remember correctly, like, you didn't even have an account name. You just signed in as someone. There was like no stat tracking and like it was very, very quaint. Yeah. The last game I played online on Wii was 007 Nightfire, if I recall correctly. Oh, okay. 
which I think was like a... Is that a double... Is that a GoldenEye sequel? No, it was just like one of those bad EA 007 games that came Ooh, out. Ooh, okay. Oh, was it Nightfire that was online? No, it was... Um, no, that's not right. That's too early. Do you remember when they remade GoldenEye and it was terrible? Yeah, that's that's later than this. IGN, we, we leaked that trailer when I was at IGN. GoldenEye, by the way, as a video game on Quantum the... Quantum Assault. Uh, oh, Quantum Assault. Yeah, sorry. GoldenEye was terrible. Sorry. It wasn't. It is now. It's definitely you want to talk about a game that doesn't hold up anymore. I don't even think that there's a Y axis in that game, is there? There might be. There is, I think. Maybe I'm thinking of like Wolfenstein. That game's great on PC though. Like it's amazing how just like a controller interface just changes a fucking game. Definitely. Yeah, Goldeneye doesn't hold up. No. But that's another game that I could play very well when I was a kid and right. knew exactly how to play it, but I can't play games like that no, anymore. Same. I loved it. I was excited yeah. to play it again and I played it again and I actually I immediately shut it off. I was like, this is actually worse than the majority of things I've experienced. Give me liberty or give me death, as we as we brought up earlier. Chris, that's all we have for episode 58 of Sacred Symbols. Alrighty. Appreciate all you guys out there for your love, your kindness, and support. Remember, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash Stand for early ad-free access to our show, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, and of course, access to Sacred Symbols Plus, which is an extra episode of Sacred Symbols going live every week only on Patreon. So we appreciate you. We thank you. We love you. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Adam Barnes, Justin Bearden, Martin Beck, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Blossford, Andrew Bonnell, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jimmy Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Nick Calloway, Tom Cargill, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Nick Cottrell, Philip Crone, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davin. Mitchell Durkash, Zachary Douglas, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Liam Fagan, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wide Henry, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphreys, Blake Israel, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Garrett Jaggard, Jimmy Jolicure, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julius, Anton Kay, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Auntie Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Kenneth Kopnick, Joshua Koga, Andre Kozachka, Ron Kroskoff, Jackson Lostiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Duncan Leishman, Matthew Lenz, Jeffrey Leonard, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, David Mann, Peter Mark, Matt Martin, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Jordan Mouse, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Philip J. Melk, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Midling, Matthew Miller, Alex Moans, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nick, 
Rich, Donnie Nolan, George A. Nunez, Grayson Orr, Brian Ott, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymel, Tebow Poplier, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Shero Kader Hama Karim, Andrew Ramos, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Daniel Rivas, Johnny Rosado, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholz, Toby Schutman, Glendon C. Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Daniel Strycharsk, Wesley Simmons, Ahmad Tamar, Will Thelander, Ben Thompson, Ren Todd, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Troy Walters, Connor Walton, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Josh Wire, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Hugo's Desk, Organic Produce, Jeff, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, Infinite, Madmock Media, Fabian, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Richter86, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Scott, Rainick, Donk2015, and Gavin. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.